The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you could be with us here this morning. I'm Veda with Palladio. Yes, and I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers. Good morning, Kenneth. Good morning to you, and let me ask you a question. you got to be honest with me. Mm-hmm. Don't lie to me and make me feel better, okay? Oh, thanks you for any, the hint. Did you get any rain the other day? No. Okay. Honestly. Yeah, me either. <laughs> no. I was at work. I guess that was last Sunday, maybe? When was that? Might have been. Yeah, Sunday. Sunday, yeah. yeah. And it flooded at Dan West Garden Centers on Poplar Avenue. Yeah. So I'm thinking, all right, good. Wow. You know, this is mm-hmm. perfect, you know? Yeah. Call my wife at home. I said, please tell me it's raining. <laughs> she went, not a drop. Right. <laughs> I said, well, do me a favor. Call me if it starts to rain. Yeah. So I didn't get a phone call from her, of course. And I'm thinking, she just forgot to call me. Well, honestly, it yeah. had to rain. Yeah. yeah. I get home. Just, I mean, well, let me, the grass had a few drops of water mm-hmm. on it. And I'm thinking, what is going on? No, none. I have, it hadn't rained in my house in over two months. I had friends uh, posted on Facebook showing all the flooding and the raining going on at their house. Like in Collierville, Collierville mm. always gets it. They're like on a different weather pattern. How than could it are. rain on Popper Avenue right there uh-huh. and rain in Collierville and not right. rain down Walnut Grove? Yeah. And I mean, I think we're only like 10 minutes apart yeah. or five minutes apart. We're kind of like in that way, same weather thing. No. Didn't get it. Didn't even get it in Midtown either. And then, you know, last night I heard some thunder. Yeah. Uh, at, right yeah. there at, uh, at on Germantown Parkway. I'm thinking, mm-hmm. oh, this is yeah. it. No, no, right. no well, rain. I could stand on the balcony and see it raining across the uh, highway. You know how we've been talking <laughs> about, we've been talking about water the last two weeks. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, this is, it's getting critical. I'm telling you. I mean, I'm not going to water my lawn. I just don't have time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just don't, you know. And my backyard, my Bermuda, is going semi-dormant already. I mean, huh. it's 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 kind of yeah. brownie green. I mean, it, it it's not going to kill it. But Bermuda will just kind of go dormant. Summer mm-hmm. dormancy, okay? Right, which is okay. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I would prefer my green lawn mm-hmm. this time of year. So, But the only way I know I can achieve that, Veda, is to water my yard. And... <laughs> And I just, I mean, I, I'm having a hard enough time just watering all the landscape. Yeah. Yeah, you probably have the front yard watered. Front yard's pretty small. Yeah. It's a little pie-shaped yard. I can put a mm-hmm. spring out there, not even move it one time and get it good and soaked, you know? Yeah. And it looks good. Uh, and, of course, the you know, the tulip poplar, that dang tree in my front mm-hmm. yard, you know, it's sucking up all the water I put out there. I know, already know it is. So, man, you know it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And it's loving it. Um, but the the backyard is it's a long, rectangle-shaped backyard. And I'd have to move that sprinkler probably four different times, maybe five, mm. just to get everything covered. And like I said, I don't have time for I just don't have yeah. time. And then how much water would I really have to pump on that thing, you know, yeah, three a times a week to really keep it hydrated? So... I'm just living with the fact that one of these days I'm going to get a little bit of rain, yeah. you know? And then it'll grain it back up. But, you know, at least you've kept your landscape watered. I mean, that's such a, a good way to look at it. You're going to have to sacrifice something. Well, and I, it's a Bermuda lawn, so yeah. you're good with that. And I know it's, there again, I know it's not yeah. going to kill it. Your you landscape's going to be fine as long as you keep it watered. But, moist, I mean, three you know. times a week at least. I um, mean, I'm watering every pot 
every shrub, everything growing yeah. uh, in my landscape. And I'm not going out there like my wife does and just gives it a, you know, to make, me, to make, her, make her feel better, I guess, to pass time maybe. <laughs> yeah. You know, just to sprinkle a little water on the leaves. No. No, she's sprinkling the water going, just hang on. Yeah. Kenneth, Kenneth will be back. Yeah, he'll be I'll back tomorrow. Give you a little bit. Or maybe back <laughs> later on today. But I'm just, I'm soaking everything. And I think still think that's the best way for me to water is to really soak everything. A good soaking. In fact, I'll even lay the nozzle down and just yeah. let it soak. And then go back and pick it up 15 minutes later. Go to the next shrub, let it soak. Um, so I know I'm getting that good deep watering, Vader. But I'm telling you, I mean, it, it's getting to a point where... I really need some rain, mm-hmm. so everybody needs to get their tinfoil hats on and the fork in the freezer, whatever we got to do. rain dance. <laughs> yes, rain dance, anything mm-hmm. to get some rain around my house, I'm telling you. Boy, yeah, and then, you know, when the soil's drying out a lot, it's also um, reducing the microorganisms in the soil mm-hmm. because they, they don't need, or it's stopping them. Anyway, they don't need to have that dry, crusty soil. <laughs> you know, they've got to have some moist soil. This is when you really figure out or find out how mm. your soil prep was when you or how your soil is, mm-hmm. is during these times. Because if you have some really good soil in your landscape, it's not going to dry out as fast. Your roots are deeper and you don't have to water every day because you don't have to water. And then every I'm thinking, day. I don't know if I even need to weed eat because the soil is already separated, you know, from my walkways oh, yeah. and my driveway. It's already a gap there. I'm thinking... Mm-hmm. I've never seen my lawn separate from my driveway. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So, but you put pre-emergent out, didn't you? No. Because that just makes, <laughs> no. makes me think of weeds growing between that separation. Of I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a void there. It's a crack mm-hmm. there. Good grief. Where the, the lawn has separated from. How long has it been since we've had a good rain? It's been a couple of months around my house. Really? Mm-hmm. It's, it's dry. I'm telling you, Veda, it is so dry. It's been that long. Wow. No wonder I'm missing rain so much. <laughs> no wonder, especially since we had early hot summer starting anyway. Mm-hmm. So that's just made it worse. But this week we got a break, a little bit of break. I could hear some of the plants taking some breaths of fresh air. <laughs> that was, that was so beautiful. And then, you know, I told you I made, you know, the, the worst mistake I could ever make as far as mulch goes. Mm-hmm. Last year, I used soil conditioner as a mulch. And, I, you know, I know people have done it in the mm-hmm. past. And I'm thinking this would be, you know, soil conditioner is nothing more than fine ground up pine bark. It's all it is. Instead of the bigger pieces, it's a much smaller piece. We usually use soil conditioner to amend our clay soil with. I told you this, which is great for amending our clay soil. It helps keep that clay separated. It is horrible as a top dressing, as a mulch. And I'm thinking, you know, when I was putting it down, I was spreading everything out. It's easy to spread. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking with the particles being so small, water would just run right through it. It would be perfect as a, as, a, um, as a mulch. It's not. I know. It makes no sense. Well, because mm-hmm. I guess it's, since the particles are so smaller, they overlap and they just kind of fit just snug in there. And water will not penetrate mm-hmm. That soil conditioner, yeah. unless you just sit there and just, you know, move it around and soak it as you're watering. You're so right. And then also there's the issue with the too much mulch. And then isn't it the brown paint mulch that overlaps so much and you can't, or just the regular hardwood mulch? Well, that was the old jet black, you know, some yeah. of that would crust on the top mm-hmm. and form your little umbrella on the top of your beds, just yeah. like this soil conditioner that I have. But you know, we use soil conditioner as a mulch. A lot and lot a lot of years, I guess that could be some of the problem with the the correct water. Well, issues. and then I started actually I started doing some research on it though, mm-hmm. and they're saying 
absolutely what I'm going through is what people will go through if they use soil conditioner. Now, I'm not saying you you can't get any water to penetrate yeah. it, Veda, but it's it's not the best mulch out there. You want something with a larger piece to it, yeah. whether it's the old-fashioned pine bark, the old-fashioned shredded hardwood, the mini nuggets. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, any of those are fine because you have air between the pieces, and you've got these little pathways for water to make its yeah. way down right. to the to the soil. But, I, I mean, I was like, I was scratching my head, mm-hmm. like, why is this doing this? Yeah, see, we had the uh, pine finds by Earthmix, and they seem to, I guess they're probably made different than the soil conditioner a little bit, but they seem close looking to the soil conditioner. And they've been, it's been down for a year, mm-hmm. and it definitely looks like it needs replenishing. Well, I'm going to replenish so, mine also, but yeah. I'm going to go back to the old-fashioned mulch. Yeah, kind of dig that other stuff in. Oh, kind of rake it out, yeah. you know, rake a lot of that out of the bed, uh, because I don't want that under mm-hmm. my mulch. Just like I got black plastic under my yeah, mulch, you know, it. and no water's penetrating at all. But oh, I'm bringing yeah. all this up because water is really critical right now. And, you know, you and I preach this every day, Veda, and we've had people in the garden center all week long uh, with hydrangeas and everything else that has the burn around the edge mm-hmm. of the leaf. And they're like, you know, what kind of fungus do I have? I say, you don't have a fungus. You've got a <laughs> burn. And this burn is either from excessive moisture or not enough water. And I said, if I had to guess between the two, even if you have irrigation, I'm leaning on the side of not enough water. And sure enough, every one of these, every one of them, they're like either they're not sure the, uh, the uh, irrigation system is hitting it like it should yeah. Some cases, not at all. A lot of these are brand new beds where the irrigation system is already in place. Mm-hmm. They've got these new beds yeah. that they've created, and you know they're hand watering. So, hey guys, we're just saying this to be aware. It is bone dry out there. Get the hose out. Make your rounds under the irrigation, and if you've got burn, you know around mm-hmm. the edge of your leaf. Um, it's probably because it's not getting hydrated yeah, enough. Just a little too dry. Also wilting. And then watering it and it recovering, wilting, watering, and recovering on numerous plants. Not not the hydrangeas so much, but when I see plants wilt and then they recover, I, a lot of times I see damage around the outside of the leaves too. Oh, you're going because, to. Yeah, because they just lost everything. And then the one thing we'll talk about later on this morning, I wrote down spider mites, okay, mm. which is a little insect, and we don't like them, Veda, and they love hot, dry weather and they surely love plants that might be a little stressed and we'll get into you know what we Mm -hmm. do about those i've had two or three people come in with samples uh you know and i told you some some people come in with samples so bad you can see the webbing yeah oh i know isn't that amazing you know you got a problem with spider mites and i'm not talking about spiders yeah which is that's completely different we're talking about the little bitty spider Mm -hmm. mite that you do not want yeah they're little bitty mites and they look like spiders so spider mites there you go all right we're gonna go to a break y'all can give us a call or check us out on facebook live or stream us at the uh the Mighty 990 Facebook page. You'll see Miss Vader right there. Shoot us a text. And like she said, give us a call, 260-5926. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all could join us on this wonderful 4th of July weekend. Works. You know what I'm saying? I was just saying. You want to let go of that firecracker before it explodes. Oh, that's the thing. I saw fireworks last night. I heard some last night. Yeah. You should have been at Well, now you're kind of sitting lower. Hey, so we were talking about the watering and the mulching and all that. Well, I had a customer come into the garden center. 
She had been working so hard, and uh, she came in all red face and just, oh my gosh, she's, I can't believe this. She goes, I cleaned my flower bed, put mulch down, oh, put black plastic down, then put mulch down, and then the next thing she knew, nutgrass was growing up through it. Hmm. And I'm like, man, first the black plastic, you know, is going to make it harder <laughs> to pull the nutgrass out. The black plastic also probably enabled it that area to hold moisture a little longer, which wet areas is what nutgrass likes. Don't like nutgrass, yeah. yeah. And um, I was like, man, it's all in the shrubs and everything. I said, you could hand pull it. And she took a picture. Well, that's how much I've hand pulled. And, you know, we had the temperature thing and all that. And I said, you know, the only way is the image. You know, use the image and it's going to take, you know, a couple weeks to die off and all of that. But she was um, glad to know that to, for us to explain that you can put a weed killer down now, especially the image, but it may take two weeks to show up. Oh, image works slow worked. anyway. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, but so why did she use plastic, though? I mean, what was know, the deal? Because, you know, back in the day, we all used yeah. plastic. Well, you know, what happens is a lot of times people are just now becoming into the garden thing, and then they're remembering what their parents did mm -hmm. or even their grandparents did. So they're not even thinking that there's a difference. That's just what you do. The only place that I like to use plastic is in a walkway. You yeah. know, if I've got pea gravel or something on top of it, but still, even then, I'd rather use fabric. Mm -hmm. I mean, I really don't don't know of a place to use plastic anymore in Either. the landscape. You know, we used to use black plastic gardens. And I'm not mm -hmm. saying you can't do it. You can. I mean, you can have a plot of, you know, ground out there. You can till yeah. it up really good. Put your compost in there. Put your lime mm -hmm. in there. Add some fertilizer. Then you put that uh, pl uh, black plastic on top, and you come back and plant in holes that you create yeah. in the plastic. You know, in theory, it sounds really good because mm -hmm. it does suppress weeds. There's no doubt about it. But that plastic heats up, and it actually kills microbes that are in the soil. It's almost impossible to regulate how much water you want or need under black plastic. Bakes the root system. It's just not. I mean, even if you're putting mulch over it. But that's the thing. We we never thought, I mean, previously, 20 years back or so, we never thought about only thing we could think about is control weeds, yeah. control weeds. Yeah, we weren't thinking about the health of the soil, yeah, you know, right, the and the watering aspect yeah. of it. Then the breakdown of the plastic. I mean, it breaks down, and, but and that's in your bed. And then you can't go back and, and replant, you know, freely if yeah. you've got the plastic in there. No, and, and like I said, it's the whole water aspect, because think mm -hmm. about it. you got plastic down. Water's not going to penetrate plastic, and any water that gets under plastic stays there for much longer. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of times you pull that old plastic up and the ground is just slimy and stinks mm -hmm. and sour. You know, it's just it's real compact, flat. Yeah. And you're thinking, I'm growing my plants in this. Yeah. But no, we don't even think that, too. We just pull it up and go, oh, no weeds must work. Yeah. And, and like I said, and then since then, of course, they came out with landscape fabric. Mm -hmm. Landscape fabric is, you know, much is it's porous. It lets moisture and things pass through it. Uh, and if I was going to go any route at all where I was trying to suppress weeds and I needed a mm -hmm. fabric, yeah. uh, definitely the landscape fabric. And they're, they come in different grades, as you know, but there's some three-year fabric, there's some six-year fabric, there's probably even some 12-year 12, 12 fabric. But mostly in the garden centers, you'll find the three- and six-year fabric, which means it will last up to three to six years. Mm -hmm. uh, and it does a great job, like I said. And I love using it in, you know, French drains and, and walkways yeah. and those kind of things. But 
even the fabric. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't. I like. I, I still don't like using that in my right. beds. People do. Yeah, and they're successful with it. Uh, but I just I like the idea of just having a top dressing of, of mulch or compost and not impeding, you know, the, the water flow, yeah. honestly, more than anything at all. Right. You know, like in greenhouses and things, they put the black fabric down. It's oh, sure. It's a little bit different. But um, they're putting it down so nothing can grow up through yeah. it, which is our point. But think about it, too. They're not wanting weeds to grow up through the container plants, but we're wanting stuff to grow in our soil. So that's where that where that makes it so difficult to balance out what you want to do. But bottom line, that plastic, not the plastic, but the uh, cloth kind is just not good either. Say, I mean, it works okay, but I've went to a house mm. that they had a whole flower bed put in the uh, the. Uh, they had fabric. fabric. Yeah, the fabric, they actually had it so tightly pinned to the outside of the bed mm-hmm. that you couldn't just take it and pull it up. They didn't want anything disrupted, but we had to re-landscape it. Mm. And I, I finally had to say, there's no way, you know, we have to cut big holes and all this. Yeah, what's the, what's the use then, yeah. right? And then when I put a big hole here and a big hole there, then there's no... You know, and I was so just y'all like, just ripped all that stuff out of there, or what? I said just no because they wouldn't let me take it up. Really? And it's like no because it's too hard. It, it's too hard to do that, and nobody wants to pay for somebody cutting, you know, and pulling shrubs out, and then trying to plant them back in that little Hold cross it. that you cut out. Yeah. yeah. No. Or how about if you were going to do bedding plants? Yeah, it's impossible. <laughs> I mean, you just yeah. you couldn't do it. You know. So the, and then you can't add nutrients back into the soil. You can't replenish your soil because you've got the barrier. So anyway, let's yeah. keep it under your walkways or under your swimming and, pool. And, and I'm bringing that up because I mean, there again, we're we're in a drought right now, and if if you've got plastic out there in your beds, well, I, I'm, good luck. <laughs> Uh, you know, and even if you got fabric, and, and, and like I said, I would much prefer to use, I don't like to use any of them, but I prefer mm-hmm. to use the fabric, surely over the black plastic, how things have changed, like you said, Veda. And we mentioned uh, spider mites. You know, there's a host of insects out there. You know, the bagworms are still going crazy. The Japanese beetles have lost their minds. And the spider mites, you know, they start raising their ugly head. It seems like the hotter and the drier it gets. And the, the more stress these plants get, the more spider mites we tend to see. I had people come in this week, uh, spider mites on roses, spider mites on mandevillas. Spider mites on everything, yes. it and, like. Yeah, and, and so if you've ever, you know, if you've been diagnosed where you have spider mites, when I tell people, it's not you personally, <laughs> Veda, but plants, um, I, like to do, I like to do a two-step method. I like to get the water hose out and just wash the plant mm-hmm. down with good cold water. Because they don't like it. No, they hate mm-hmm. it. You can kill millions of mites with just a good stream of good cold water. So I tell them to go out there and wash, for example, a rose in this case. Wash that rose down or the roses down uh, early in the morning or late in the afternoon. Just wash them down. Let that uh, water dry and then come back and spray. And you can spray with typically anything that's got spider mites on the label. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's acephate, permethrins, any of those. Most, A lot of the generic insecticides have spider mites on the label. But that's the key is, is not just to do it that one time or forget it. I wash and spray, wait about five days, wash mm-hmm. and spray again, and wait five days and wash and spray a third time. You've got to spray two or three times. I say three 
uh, to break the reproductive cycle of these spider mites. Mm-hmm. If you go out there just and wash and spray or just spray that one time, you'll never get rid of them. Yeah, yeah, because they'll just keep going. Also, increase the water. Spider mites like things that are extra, extra dry. And because they've had the spider mites and making the issues on it, you're going to want to add some fertilizer to exactly. it, preferably something natural so it, it's gentler on the whole system. So of you're the saying plant. the spider mites, like all up, basically all the other insects, uh, are attracted to weaker plants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so And they're definitely attracted to plants that are suffering from drought. Mm-hmm. Um, so make sure you keep everything hydrated, uh, put some fertilizer out there to keep everything good and strong. But I'm telling you, these spider mites, they're bad. I mean, and they can tear a plant up. And it you don't really, to me, you don't know you have mites until you have a problem. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like when you're trying to grow English ivy in the house. It's always going to get, get it. spider. I mean, we put it under grow lights. You're still going to get it. And it still shows up. It's almost like English ivy is a quick, pretty, fluffy fix for a house plant. And otherwise, it's just better outside. It just needs that outside air. I try and try to grow that inside. Well, and, and you can. So but there again, the, the wash method and the spray method is really the best way to try to get rid of these things. Now, there are actually some true miticides out there on the market. Uh, I think Maverick was one. And remember yeah. the old Kelthane was another one. Oh, Kelthane. Uh, where they kill nothing but mites. Uh-huh. Where now, most of your broad-spectrum insecticides uh-huh. also control... Uh, these spider mites, but it, you know it, it is a problem. Uh, but keep everything hydrated, keep uh, keep everything fed and healthy out there, uh, and hopefully you won't have mites. Because I'm telling you, like I said, usually you don't know you have a problem till you got eight billion mites out there uh, doing their little nasty work. But washing and spraying three times, five days apart, to me has been the best way mm-hmm. to try to get rid of these dang spider yeah, mites. I think that's a a great idea. Okay, so we've got more bugs or insects to talk about. We'll be right back. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Hope this gets you up and ready to garden. That's what you can do is put your earbuds in. and I do that. I go in in the morning when it's still really cool. Oh, yeah. Put my earbuds in, listen to some music, organize all of that. Get your plants all ready to go. Get yeah. them water. Get them groomed. Yes, you know, display them, play with them. But then, also, at times, I don't. Well, see, with me, if I'm working in the front of the garden center, there's a central. So you can hear, you know, cars and all of that going up. Yeah, because it's kind of like Popper Avenue at Dam West. Yeah. yeah. So if I go in the back, though, I can hear the water features and the water fountains mm-hmm. and all. So then I don't really wear my earbuds then because I want to hear more of the wildlife and the calmness and all. And see, that just kind of goes with your micro environments. I have different environments for different feelings, really. And um, then, you know, we're talking about no water and the heat and, you know, things that grow good like that are weeds, <laughs> weeds. <laughs> but, you know, then then so I was looking at something that was called uh, eat a weed or something like that. And what they're listing aren't really weeds. You know, they should just say eat a perennial yeah. Like milkweed, you can fly, fry the flowers in batter. and cook, No, you can't. Yeah, cook the pods and stew with vegetable. Well, there's probably a lot of perennials or weeds mm-hmm. that we could eat out there, which I'm not going to. Last year, yeah. a good friend of mine from Arkansas, oh, yeah. uh, Mary, he lives over in Marion. He's got a beautiful place. I mean, he's mm-hmm. the one I, I keep telling you about, uh, Bland Britain. He's got, 
in the orchard. He's got a beautiful vegetable garden. It's like walking through the produce department at Kroger. I promise you, it's not a blemish out there. I don't know how he does it. His lawn is immaculate, not a weed one. He grows his own bedding plants. He's got 8 million bedding plants. I mean, it's, it's wow. like, oh, my God. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy, Veda. <laughs> the, um, he brought me, I guess it was a cooked, it was cooked pigweed last year. Oh, Boil. Yes. I mean, it was Tell like, you know, that. instead of boiling greens, it was mm-hmm. pigweed. I don't know if he, you know, grabbed it from the side of the road or in the cotton field. I don't know where he got it from, <laughs> but I'm thinking, all right, how many pesticides are already on this pigweed to start with? Yeah. You Apparently know, so, none since it's still there, right? Oh, well, maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> but I'm telling you, I started, I ate it and it was wonderful. It was, it was great. It like, uh, it was like turnip greens. Oh, just like a turnip side greens. dressing next to your turkey. Or yeah, something. I had corn, cornbread with it and, you know, ham Ooh. hock. And it was, I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm eating a weed. But then again, you know, what is a weed? Oh, that's is a, a weed a weed only because we don't like where it's growing or we just don't like, I don't know, <laughs> and, you know? Yeah, we just weren't educated about it. So we just called it a weed. Like cattails, um, it can um, stir fries, soups. And even pollen, you can use pollen to make pancakes. And, you know, over the years, though, I have learned to start eating things mixed together that you never would have thought about. And all of this is really good. You know, like the purslane. It's in salads. The purslane reminds me of pigweed. It's That's got that exactly big, what You know, I was that thinking. big flat leaf on mm-hmm. it. But, but, there, but my idea is, though, Veda, we've got so many other regular good foods that we don't need to start eating weeds. In but fact, if word those... gets out that you're eating weeds, they're going to look at you kind of mm, funny, I'm telling you. I'll say, are you part goat? Yeah. But also, all these other good foods we're talking about, are they really? Well, all the fresh market stuff and all that. You know, it's, things taste so much better when you go to, I'm saying the fresh market, but I mean like the agri-center, the mm-hmm. fruit stands, the mm-hmm. veggie stands and all that. It's just downright better. There's just no two ways about it. Well, you just hope they're, they're you know, growing them the right way. Yeah. You know, and maybe it's in our head because I think more than anything as far as the food tasting better, Beta, regardless, I think, of who's cooking it, is the timing of the year. And what I mean by that, you know, if you're not going to Kroger in um, you know, November and December, and we're buying tomatoes. <laughs> well, we know those tomatoes aren't being grown locally mm-hmm. for sure, and they're surely not being grown around here. They're being shipped in from who knows where. And a lot of times those tomatoes are being hybridized. They're being grown to be picked and shipped, okay? <laughs> true, they, true. They do want this tomato to look good when it makes mm-hmm. it to the supermarket shelves, and that's really what they've bred into these tomatoes. It's not really how it tastes. Yeah. It's how it looks, okay? See, isn't that crazy? We're yeah. all about looks and never about the inside. Yeah, because you're not going to go in there and buy an ugly tomato. Mm-hmm. You're just not going to do it. So I'm with you. I think is it not not so much where it's grown or, you know, even when it's grown, but the the fresher, I should mm-hmm. say, local produce, uh, it, it just, I mean, you finally get the taste back on it. <laughs> and it. I always use, you know, the tomato as the barometer for some reason. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not just the tomato either. Uh, it's squash and everything else. I mean, some of those things you buy them in November, December, they look like a tomato. I mean, and they kind of look like a squash, Yeah. you know, but they, they, they taste, taste like, like nothing. It. Yeah. I miss the canning. I mean, I've never, ever done it, but of course I enjoyed it growing up and going to my aunt's sister's house where they would... You know, take everything out of the garden and can it or snapping beans at night while you're and sitting you around talking. And you miss that? 
I miss somebody else doing it and having the taste and the enjoyment of it. But since I don't like to cook anyway, but see, that sounds fun, though. Crafty, crafty. But people, that's how they live. That's how they survived was. And so many they kids. They all had big gardens. Yeah. So many kids cannot even believe that people could survive out of their garden. Well, and it wasn't complete survival, but that was mm-hmm. a lot of their food source right. came from that garden. There's but, no doubt about exactly. it. Exactly. I told them, I go, well, no, potato chips don't grow on the vine. No, you can't find a, a Coke tree. No, you know, that. And we're talking about the real food that grows in the garden. And like uh, even nuts, my uh, granddaughter was like, so all nuts are on trees? And I was like, well, you know, except for pecans, we call them a nut, not pecans. Peanuts, we yeah. call them a nut, but they're not. They're a legume and they're under the ground. But And she's like, okay, no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's all I wanted. To you know. taught her enough for that yeah, one day. Yeah, well, but like you said, I mean, they it all even then it still all started with the soil. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I don't care if it's a huge plot that you're gardening or if it's just a you know eight by eight little plot in the backyard, or if it's even a container that you're growing uh, produce in, uh, you, you, you got to have a good base. Mm-hmm. You just have to. And that's a good, uh, to me, a good base is, is, is a soil that's fairly high in organic matter. Uh, and I'm not saying 90% organic mm, matter. Right, because okay? that's not really, No, that's but, but it has organic yeah. matter added to it. you got a good pH. You want a pH between 6.2 and 6.8, 6.5 being ideal. Typically, you lime it every year to keep mm-hmm. that pH up. And then you want some good nutrient value. And there's 8 million different fertilizers you can put out there on a the garden, whether it's synthetic, mm-hmm. water-soluble, or even organic. They're all good fertilizers. But if you get that balance and you've got good soil, then it's easier, A, to grow plants. It's easier to keep insects and disease off of Mm -hmm. plants because the plants aren't as stressed to start with. But it's amazing how you're you're behind the eight ball Mm -hmm. already if you don't have decent soil. You are. Even the flavor and the color is better when you're using good organic products for the soil, to put on the plant Mm -hmm. because the whole thing is is you need to have the lot of sugars in your plants i mean i'm not saying tablespoons of sugars just the natural sugars that are naturally in the environment so you have the way to get all and they call it the bricks b-r-i-x you know the way you can get the bricks level up in your plants to make them taste better is by adding all the stuff to the soil and, mm-hmm. and having lots of microorganisms. And then there's, there comes into play where people put sorghum, molasses down. But now we get to we get products that already have it mixed in sometimes. Mm-hmm. You can find them like that. But just adding all the organic matter is going to make your plants, your vegetables and all taste much better well, and of course immune to issues well yeah and you know and i'll you know for example I, you know i was reading about seaweed last night mm-hmm. you know and i was thinking about not so much maybe in a garden uh which you surely can use liquid seaweed as a supplemental feeding but i was mm-hmm. thinking i was reading about seaweed uh in fescue uh, around here in the Mid-South. Because, Which we recommend. Well, you, because, you know, I mean, typically around here, you know, you see fescue grass growing under these big oak trees where you don't get enough sun to support Bermuda or zoysia. And you want yeah. grass. Fescue is the only way to go, right? Well, Veda, you and I both know fall, winter, and spring, fescue looks its best. 
okay, mm-hmm. because it's a little cooler. And that's like three seasons. Yeah, well, it is, but but I mean, but we still want it to look good in the summertime, and that's when fescue typically tends to suffer. Uh, it just hates the heat, uh, and I don't care what you do. If you've got a fescue lawn, and everybody out there that's growing fescue, they know this. You're going to lose some fescue in the summertime. I don't care how much you water, and you have to keep it watered. You better keep it watered. But one thing that you can do to help, I guess, reduce the amount of stress on fescue, because it's definitely stressed in the summertime, you know, is to go out there uh, every two or three weeks and spray that thing down with liquid seaweed. Mm -hmm. It really helps that fescue. Now, there again, you can use seaweed on anything, even your garden. It's good for anything you spray it on. But I was, you know, really thinking about the fescue growers out there. It, you know, um, it has a huge amount or huge number of vitamins, minerals, plant sugars, and it also has growth, growth hormones in it, Veda. And it's got over 10 times the mineral levels of land-based plants. Right. Think about that. Exactly. Sam, when I came, moved back to Memphis and said we need to see, sell seaweed, they went, Psh, Huh? What? Seaweed? Are you insane? Go back I'm to like, the beach. Right. I'm like, oh, oh, I just want to use something that has lots of minerals, nutrients, and yeah, hormones. Exactly. And it feeds the bacteria that's in the soil. And like I said, so it helps ward off the stress uh, that we always going to have on fescue in the summertime. So just a little tip, guys mm-hmm. uh, and ladies. If you've got fescue out there, other than you keeping it water, because you really don't want to feed fescue with a lawn food that we feed Bermuda and Zoysia with this time of year. Right, yeah, you cannot do that. No, because that Mm -hmm. flat out could kill it because fescue goes semi-dormant this time of year. Mm -hmm. Like I said, it actively grows when it's cooler, the fall, the winter, and the spring. This time of year, it kind of just sets there. But while it's setting there, you got to keep it watered and go out there about every two to three weeks. I like to do it twice a month. And spray that fescue lawn down with that mm-hmm. liquid seaweed. And there's, you know, lots of maxi crop seaweed, uh, Medina seaweed. They're they're all basically liquid seaweed. Mm-hmm. Uh, give it a good spray, and and I promise you, it will help. It help you not lose as much fescue yeah. in the summer months exactly. that you typically do. Exactly. And some people say, well, a little bit's not enough. Well, a little bit's a lot. Have you ever just needed a little bit before? <laughs> It's a lot when you just need a little bit. This is true. So, it's okay if a it works a little bit. You need every little bit here. Okay, let's go to a break, and we'll talk about more little bits when we get back. Yep. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad we could be with you here this morning. You know, talking about little bits, I was reading about rusty nails last night. Just, you know, I started with... Um, Trying things. to get hydrangeas to turn blue? No, or it, was, it all started with things experts never tell you. Mm-hmm. I wish I could, I wish I had wrote down some of the titles of the things, but I'm like, yeah, we never tell you that because that's not accurate. Mm-hmm. That's why experts never tell you that. But the Rusty Nell thing got me thinking about how it, it does not work. This doesn't work. And... You mean to do what, though? Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> Rusty nail does work for tetanus. Yeah. <laughs> but to add iron back into your soil and all. I mean, I guess you would need a thousand rusty nails well, to do anything. That was the, the thing was after they're telling you it doesn't work, and then I go to really look it up more into the science part or, or whatever you want to go with. And it's like 
after it's all said and done, it helps a little bit. So yeah. there's that little. But where, when this started being used, think about it. You had to find your little bits because you yeah. might not could have bought fertilizer or there was nothing available. And, and it makes me think of, you know, people trying to turn their hydrangeas blue. Mm-hmm. You know, they always wanted to add some acidifiers to the soil. Well, we, now we, you know, we surely have aluminum sulfate and we have sulfur and there's other ones. But, you know, forever in a day, you know, for the last hundred years, I've heard of people pushing in nails around their, in the soil, mm-hmm. around their hydrangeas to let them rust, and the rust, you know, is iron, and iron helps acidify. Now, I'm like you, Veda, it has to work a little bit, but am I going to rely on nails to turn my hydrangeas blue or to to put around my blueberries to acidify that soil? No. Now, back then, if it made people feel good and they got a little result out of it, Mm -hmm. maybe so, but... I know, it is I'm not the, good. I, I, I don't want the little bit. I want the whole thing. Yeah, because now we <laughs> can do so. But uh, you funny. can always keep keep them in there forever, and so you're always getting a little bit all the time. But like you said, I wind up with my bare foot stepping on one of those things, and then the next thing you know, it's not good to ever step on a rusty nail, right? That I right. stick in the ground myself. Well, don't wear your bare feet. Well, even then, it'd go through the sole of your shoes. <laughs> Right. No, bare feet. <laughs> Grizzly bare feet. <laughs> I just have to clarify Jan, that. one of our listeners, uh, Jan Childers, she texted in. She said, a good breakfast veggie idea. She'll get a slice of tomato and she'll cut out the center of it, okay? And then she'll pour in, um, and she placed it in the griddle, and she poured in a mixture of beaten eggs, green bell peppers, onion, and a little salt into the hollowed out center. And once um, it was uh, you know, cooked on the bottom, she flipped it one time and cooked the other side. But think about that, Veda. You've got a, let's say, a beefsteak tomato, Mm -hmm. a big slicing tomato, okay? And you cut a, like a donut hole out of the center. Right. So leave the outside skin. And then you got your, well, yeah. And then you got your beaten egg, your bell peppers, maybe a little onion, salt and pepper, and you pour that. So the tomato itself is kind of like your, just your barrier. Yes. And then let that cook and flip it over. So that has to be good. Man. That sounds really good. That does sound great. So, Jan, okay, so. So, Jan I think we're coming over after the show, Ooh. too. That sounds really good, and then you could even put it on a piece of toast. Yeah, you could. Okay. So that does sound that, good. So, I think I might try that one, too. Um, oh, yeah, and then, and then we were talking about the seaweed earlier, <clears throat> and that made me think about when we were in Florida— in the ocean, in the sea, or whatever, and in the body of water. Mm-hmm. And we saw some seaweed just kind of floating up because the waters were pretty calm. And my granddaughter was like, oh, what is that? And I said, it's just seaweed. So she grabs a piece of it, and there's little tiny seahorses oh, wow. hanging off the seaweed. And then here comes more. And so me and my son and granddaughter have these little pieces of seaweed with these little tiny seahorses hanging off of them. Yeah. So we're trying to go back into the ocean as far as we can To let them go before they get back on the beach. I know. And and I'm thinking, this is so amazing how nature works, but they were so tiny. But all those little tiny seahorses make a difference in our ecosystem. Well, and the seaweed washes up on shore. In fact, you know, in Scotland, you know, years and years and years ago, uh, the seaweed would wash up on the shore, and they would grab the seaweed, and they would put it on the golf course greens, you know, the majestic golf courses you have over in Scotland. 
and they would put it on the the greens, uh, especially during the winter time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the uh, spring, they would you know take it back off. But that's some of the first places seaweed was ever used. Uh, and they realized you know how wonderful this stuff was with the minerals leaching out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the hormones and all that stuff like we mentioned that's in seaweed veda. They've got all the nutrients from the ocean. Yeah, and you know, it also acts as a you know, a winter barrier, a winter mulch. Uh, so it, you know, mm-hmm. used on golf courses and they still might I'm sure they don't do yeah. it anymore, but they used it on the golf courses uh, in Scotland, uh, you know, hundred years ago. Right. And they uh, don't use it anymore because somebody that sells chemicals came in and went mm-hmm. Well, Let me just show you but, but, but also the point I want to make with seaweed, you know, and, I, and I, there again, I recommend people using it on fescue to reduce the amount of stress that we have on fescue in the summertime and the other attributes that we talked about. But one of the craziest things was, let's say, maxi crop seaweed. Maxi crop mm-hmm. is just a brand, right? Right. It used to have a big old fat vegetable label on seaweed. Okay. Well, I noticed one mm-hmm. day that the vegetables and the vegetable label was taken off the seaweed. Yeah. So I called them, uh, and I said, what is the deal? Why, what happened to the vegetable label that used to be on seaweed? They said, well, the EPA made us take vegetables off of it. And I'm going, why? He said, well, because seaweed, being a natural product, actually has some natural arsenic in it, okay? So yeah. the EPA said anything that has arsenic uh, has to be taken off of the label mm-hmm. as far as vegetable com- uh, consumption. And they fought it, you know, forever. They're like, you know, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard. People have been using this on vegetables for a thousand years. But if you ever buy a bottle of seaweed now, you're not going to see vegetables on the label because of the natural arsenic Mm -hmm. that is in seaweed. I sprayed my garden with it so much. Right. Now we can, but we can't recommend that anymore. I know people have done it, still do it, Mm -hmm. but it's not on the label anymore. And if you're ever wondering why it's not. It's because of the small amount of natural arsenic that is in seaweed. Is that not like, crazy? Like the milorganite. That was the thing, too. Well, they, they tested it for forever. Milorganite yeah. is just a good granulated fertilizer. And they were always talking about heavy metals in milorganite. And they have tested milorganite to death, I'm telling mm-hmm. you. Uh, and at one point, they actually, while they were doing the testing, they had to take the vegetable label off of milorganite. And then when they finally exhausted all of the testing for so many years, uh, you know, of course, the vegetables are back on there. So it's crazy. It really is. It just depends on who's in charge and who has the money at the time. I guess. We'll be right back. Good morning. Welcome back to our second hour of Mid-South Gardening. That first hour went so fast. You know, gardening in the yard goes fast. Time flies when you're having fun, you know? Yes. So we've gotten um, y'all started for some watering. We've told you about some bugs out there, broke some The old spider mites, you know, and eating weeds uh, every now and then. I told you I was eating pigweed last year. Which I just can't believe Kenneth would eat pigweed. Well, the only reason I did because it was brought to me in a container, already mm-hmm. cooked, warm, and ready to go. You know what's funny now as I look back and think about when the sprouts start started coming out, you know, mm-hmm. was, and I thought, I don't know why <clears throat> I would have thought that was weird or they wouldn't be so good. I don't know. But, I mean, there's, I guess it was so foreign to eat 
foliage, <laughs> like on weeds, or but the sprouts, you know, they're so good in your salad and they're so good on your sandwich. You can even grow them in your kitchen window. And these are just or a somewhere. bean sprout or like yeah. a bamboo sh- shoot or something? Like the bean sprouts, yeah. yeah. And so it's the little bitty sprouts that come up and you just cut them off and put them on your sandwich at and you're done. Point, at some point, somebody tried it because it yeah, took off, you know? Right. It, yeah, it's probably one of those things, again, that somebody was like, why don't you just go to the grocery store and get something? <laughs> or why are you eating that? But <laughs> There's right. some potato chips available. But you're right, Vader. You know, we're, you know, just kind of a recap the first hour. You know, spider mites are crazy out there. Be on the lookout for, you know, insects in general, but spider mites are really showing their ugly head this time of year. Uh, using liquid seaweed as a good uh, stress improver, you know, improves, mm-hmm. uh, you know, especially in fescue lawns. It That's even stops the cell production on the eggs of the uh, white fly. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just a good liquid plant food. And it's not really a fertilizer, per se. Like we said mm-hmm. a while ago, right. it's got, uh, you know, the vitamins, the minerals, the plant sugars, and the growth hormones in there. Um, so you can use it on anything you ever want, but I like, surely like using it on fescue because fescue really suffers, of course, in the summertime. Um, but another thing Veda, is, I don't know if I'm the experiment, uh, I'm definitely the loser of this mm-hmm. experiment. Okay. You know, the last couple of weeks we've been talking about how bad Japanese beetles are. And, you know, typically, you know, it's, the Rosarians are thinking, they think they're the only ones that get Japanese beetles, you know, because their roses mm-hmm. are getting eaten up. Yeah. And they do love roses. Don't get me wrong. But I'm going to tell you what, they love crepe myrtle blooms. And it just blows my mind where this year I have, I had so many blooms on the crepe myrtles. I had three of them in my backyard against the fence. And they're, this is like their fifth year. So, mm-hmm. I mean, they're, you know, 12, 13 foot tall and six foot wide with a lot of bloom. I think there's no way in this world they're going to eat all of the blooms because it had more blooms this year than it ever has because it's a year older than last year, right? (laughs) Go figure. (laughs) I don't have a bloom left on my crepe myrtles. Let me just put it that way. That's just crazy. They are gone. The blooms are gone, Beta. They've eaten every one of them. Now they might start eating the leaves. So I said, okay, I'm not going to just let them have this this every year, Mm. you know? Next year... In early March, I'm going to get the tree and shrub systemic insect drench, yeah. the product that you mix with water and you pour around the crepe myrtle. Typically, people use it to control crepe myrtle bark scale, okay? Uh, and we've sold, you know, tons of it in the last eight years because of crepe myrtle bark scale. But also, we know that it's going to do uh, a good job on Japanese beetles. So I'm going to use the drench next year. And I'm going to see how effective it is on controlling Japanese beetles that are eating not the foliage, Mm -hmm. but the blooms. Yeah. Okay. That'll be a good experience. I'm going to check it out. Now, thinking that through. Yeah. I mean, it's supposed to, I mean, it's supposed to go to the bloom also. Yeah. So I'll let you know. Yeah. And, um, you know, because I'm telling you, the, the baseline is already set because I don't have a bloom left. I'm talking about not one sprig of one bloom. They're gone. What color? It was a lavender, and they're gone. I mean, oh, the blooms are... Oh, that's a bummer. It was a lavender, because there's not a lot of lavenders The blooms around. are gone. <laughs> and if I and, the, and you can still see the Japanese beetles up there, you know, trying, I guess, looking around for the whatever bloom might be left. Man, I'm going to start looking around and seeing if there's more bloomless but, grape myrtles. But now, I know I could have gone out there and sprayed with a, you know, a permethrin or, yeah. or something that's got Japanese beetles on the label. But Veda, I honestly... 
I, I really yeah, wasn't worried about it because I'm like, I've got enough bloom out there. It's oh, kind of really? like, you were, yeah, yeah. it's kind of like, you know, I know the squirrel's going to get one uh-huh. or two tomatoes, but I've got enough out there. I'm not really worried about right, it exactly. until you come home and you have no tomatoes left. Right. Man. So, it's I mean, just our, it's just our animals, all the wildlife's looking for things, you know, and we're just t- taking everything out of our, our landscapes, you know, have barren mm-hmm. yards. We don't have our ecological system mm-hmm. set up. So that's making the people that have this stuff take all the animals in. Well, I'm going to try. Like I said, but I'm going to try the, the drench next year. And, and it's easy to do, just mix and pour. And I'm kind of like an experiment that I lost this year, right? Yeah. Uh, and now, and if, if the drench doesn't really completely knock them back, then I'll use a combination of the drench and a spray. But I'm going to find out. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm going to, to check it out. Um, it's not the end of the world that they've eaten every one of my blooms. But but that's the point of the crepe myrtle. Exactly. Hey, that's know. my point. And I mean, not the full point of it, but that's the attraction. That's kind of why you mm-hmm. go to choose a crepe myrtle. You still great, get great shade. You have a nice form. You have beautiful mm-hmm. bark. But the crepe myrtle bloom is the thing we go for. That's, what's wild. I mean, that's why we pick out the bloom, you know, of the crepe myrtle. Mm-hmm. And then the traps, you know, we, you know, you always read about the pros and cons of putting a Japanese beetle trap. Well, I'm definitely leaning where I like the traps. Because uh, <laughs> any not? Japanese beetle in that bag is a, is a dead Japanese beetle, and that's a good thing in my book. Right, wherever they are. Yeah, and we're always saying, you know, if you get a, a Japanese beetle trap, and most of your in, just independent garden centers have them, is put that thing in the corner of your backyard as close to your neighbors as you can. and it it really attracts the uh, Japanese beetles you'll catch hundreds of them and to me that's hundreds of beetles that aren't eating the blooms off of your crepe so you're saying like if you and your neighbor are challenging for each who's got the best rose oh absolutely so you just put that Closer to his rosebud, yeah, bed right, or right, her. yeah. Oh, yeah, and, and okay. all in, you know, in good faith. Now, don't because get me wrong, Beta. You do Beta. have to put it on the outer limits. It yeah. just kind of happened to be by the rose. But we're saying this because you don't want to take your Japanese beetle trap and stick it in the middle of your rose bed. You know, a lot yeah. of, and I've had a gentleman I was talking to yesterday that did that, Beta. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, that's where the Japanese beetles were, and he thought, okay, mm-hmm. I'll stick this thing right here in the middle of this bed, and I'll get them that way. Well, you do, but you're still drawing them, you know, from other places of your landscape. Yeah. You want to draw them away from everything. So put them back there in the extremities of your backyard, uh, and they are still a huge problem right now. And I think we got another 10 days, two weeks, mm. at least probably two more weeks of Japanese beetles. Yeah, I am about to cut mine back. I'm going to cut them back, fertilize them. Uh, liquid fertilizer. You're talking about the roses. That. Yeah, the yeah. roses. I'm going to cut my maple, Japanese bugs back, too. I hope so. But, yeah, cutting them back. And, because, you know, they just got little holes all over their leaves. But they're going to rebloom. The roses will rebloom again. This one, what is one? Actually, it's a pink knockout that yep. is so beautiful. I love it. Now, all my drift roses, yeah. no Japanese beetle issues. Yeah, and I've seen that also. It's, it, I'm not saying that a Japanese beetle is never going to affect a drift rose. And to me, a drift rose is like a dwarf knockout rose. You know, yeah. they're, it's a beautiful blooming shrub rose. They just don't get as big as these knockouts. Mm-hmm. Um, but I haven't noticed any Japanese beetle damage on the drift roses for some reason. And it could be, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what it is, Vita, to be honest with you. Well, it seems like they're probably not as such a delicacy as a lot of the hybrid roses, well, possibly. But, 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 you know, the knockout is not a hybrid rose. 
I mean, it's not a hybrid tea. It is a hybrid oh, right. rose. Yeah, it's a hybrid rose. So but, I don't know. I mean, but but mm-hmm. but beetles, they they love. I mean, roses are caviar, and now I'm beginning <laughs> to believe that crepe myrtle blooms are caviar to a Japanese beetle. No, oh, that's a really bummer. Come on, leave us a few blooms. And then you know the bagworms, and I know we've talked about this the last couple of weeks, but just people be aware. Uh, bagworms, especially on arbovitas, the little bitty worms that get up there and they'll eat your arbovita up overnight. Because by the time you see bagworms, you've got hundreds, maybe thousands on there. <laughs> so get out there, spray these um, arbovitas or whatever you have bagworms potentially on. Spray them things down with some BT, spinosad, permethrin, anything that's got bagworms on the label. Uh, but you got to come back and reapply. You know, you want to spray more than one time. But as you know, I mean, it, it's it's horrible because a lot of times you don't know the damage till you see the damage. And by then, half your arbovita is gone. Then you're waiting, yeah. you know, a year or two years for that thing to flush back out. So you're stuck with this ugly, ugly looking, in this case, arbovita, you know, for the next year or two. Right. Exactly. Okay. So we're going to head to another break and we're going to talk about some things that you can be doing in your yard now. Some things that will help you get through the summer plus lots of other topics, and y'all can call us at 260-5926 or leave some questions on our Facebook Live page. You can check us out there. If you don't want to go on air, just leave a question with Josh at 260-5926. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all can join us this morning. Call us at 260-5926. And uh, we're going to talk about some tomatoes, I bet. We're going to speak with Jamie, the master gardener. Good morning, Jamie. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Hey, Jamie. We're doing great. How are you up this early morning? Oh, well, we, we, we're looking forward to coming and seeing you all next week It's uh and talk more about the tomato contest. So we'll have uh, Jamie, then, Jamie, we'll have you and maybe some guests in the studio to talk about the great tomato contest that's coming up on, what, the July the 16th, isn't it? July the 16th, two weeks from today. Oh, and, two weeks anyway, from today. We'll be, there, we'll be there to answer any questions that anybody might have, and we want to make sure that everybody knows this is absolutely free. Yeah. It doesn't cost anything to enter. So just bring your tomato on down, and if you're proud of it, uh, and that's that's real about it. <laughs> I know I have people come, a couple of people coming into the garden center, going, "Oh, my tomatoes are so beautiful right now. What if I don't have them in two weeks? Yeah. What am I going to do? Oh. I have some green ones. Are they going to get red? I mean, they're kind of getting worried. No, they'll be fine. And this is going to be at the Red Barn out there by the Red Barn at the Ag Center, which is seventy-seven seventy-seven Walnut Grove Road. July the 16th, the Great Tomato Contest. Like you said, Jamie, we'll have you and some guests in here next weekend to really get this thing kicked off a week before it happens. Well, you just read Jamie's wife's Jan's recipe, so I'm sure they're bringing us some tomato sandwiches, too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But anyway, I don't know how you could mistreat a tomato, tell you the truth. It's a good good teaching thing. But uh, anyway, we'll we'll be there, and we'd like to invite everybody to come out and Enjoy the enjoy the festivities. It's 100 degrees, which is, makes it just about right for tomorrow. Right. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Well, Jamie, it'd be a it'd be a lot of fun, and I tell you, the bragging rights are worth their weight in gold, no doubt. 
And we, we also got prize money this time, where we with the pandemic sort of hurt us a little bit with uh, the prize money, but we got the prize money back. So anyway, we're certainly looking forward to everybody coming out and uh, and, and joining us. So we, we're going to have a good time with it no matter. All right, All right, buddy. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks, Jamie. Tell Jim we said hey. And that's All y'all. Right. Thank <laughs> you, buddy. And that's the um, the annual Mid-South Great Tomato Contest, like I said, at the uh, Eggerson International out there by the Red Barn. Uh, and it's great. I mean, it, it is the best thing since sliced bread, I'm telling you. And, okay, I would put earthworm castings around my tomatoes. That's because I've already added a lot of me- amendments and nutrients and all that. So I would put earthworm castings around my tomatoes. She's I getting, might add some garden tone or tomato tone, she's, depending. She's giving out the secrets. Yeah, I am. And, uh, Spray it down with some seaweed. Absolutely was what well, I was Well, uh, we can't recommend that, though, because of the arsenic. It's a vegetable. Yeah. You can use the root stimulator. Mm-hmm. And the root stimulator I like to use, I'm not recommending it, but I like to use on vegetables as seaweed. <laughs> But I didn't recommend That's that. That's right. But, um, <laughs> yeah, that was a, one of the things, too, about the seaweed is it's a great root stimulator. Before, one of the root stimulators that um, we used to use, you had to measure so exact not to burn the the roots on it, and which is still used out there a lot. But I'm too much in a hurry, and I don't want to make sure it's measured right and all that. So then when I found out about the seaweed, I mean, you don't want to waste it, but I didn't have to worry about it if I got a little bit more than I should. And I was getting so many more benefits, like you just read the list of all the benefits, the minerals and and the hormones and all of that, which some of the other root stimulators, I wasn't getting all of that with it. Plus, the seaweed helps also with the building of the soil. I mean, you just, it, seaweed alone is not going to make you have nice organic soil, but it helps. Well, and one of the horrible things is you can do all that wonderful stuff that Veda's talking about <clears throat> and get your tomatoes just ready to go, okay? Mm-hmm. And you're fixing to go out there and just pluck this beautiful specimen of a tomato. And here comes Mr. Bushytail Squirrel, and he beats you to it. Oh. And he turns, you know, I mean, so there's my mother, my sweet, beautiful mother quit growing tomatoes mm-hmm. in her backyard because of squirrels and that affected me big time <laughs> Did <it>? yeah <laughs> you know what i mean yes. so if you're having a varmint problem mostly a squirrel problem <clears throat> on your tomatoes guys there are some decent repellents out there Veda, there's some that you know people have used in the past you know chili pepper and garlic mm-hmm. and and peppermint oil uh, and peppermint oil actually does a good job but um you know i kind of like i think more than anything either the repels all or the shake away repels all is a bonite product it kind of repels everything uh very safe to use uh it, it's an irritant they don't like you know it, it irritates their nose when they sniff around they don't like the smell of it um, but either repels all or, or like i said shake away now shake away is nothing more than granulated urine. It's a, mostly a fox urine that we use around here for squirrels. And out of all the, I think, repellents that we've ever had in the last 40 years, uh, the repels all and the shake away are the two that I would surely recommend. Um, because I'm telling you, there's nothing worse than them going out there and grabbing those prized tomatoes or other vegetables that you might have. And then not to mention digging up the plants that are in your containers. I mean, it's crazy. You, you'll, you plant your beautiful bedding plants in these containers, 
And for some reason, the squirrel wants to dig those up, you know? And there's so many other <laughs> things out there he can dig up. But he's digging those up. Are squirrels attacked to red? Is that what it is? No, no. They, they're just, they're bushy-tailed rats, I'm telling oh. you. And they're horrible, Veda. But, um, I mean, they'll, they'll flat-out eat every tomato you have. And, of course, the birds would do the same thing. But there are some nettings, like the bird netting, as you know, Veda, that you can droop over your tomatoes to keep the birds out. Um, but the, I, I still like the idea of using these repellents. Uh, those two in particular, uh, to help repel these dang squirrels. Now, there's not a repellent out there that's 100% effective every time you use it. It just didn't. Yeah, that's why I always recommend having a few different types of repellents in your arsenal of your squirrel removers, your mole killers, what have you, to, so they don't get used to one thing. I had a lady into the garden center yesterday. She had already pulled a few green tomatoes and put, you know, we talked about you don't have to have a tomato on the windowsill to turn red. In fact, a lot yeah. of times they'll say, get a tomato, wrap it with newspaper, or put it in a bag and roll the bag down to hold the gas in there. Uh, because it's the, is it, I guess it's ethane that might be in the tomato. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of, I guess, the same gas that you'd find in, in fruit. But the, it doesn't have to be in the sun. But she said, well, okay, Kenny, I put a couple in the bag and I put a couple on the windowsill just to make sure that these things turn red for me. But the reason she's doing it, and the only reason she's doing it, is because the squirrels are tearing her yeah. tomatoes up. Well, she um, told you which one worked better, the one on the Well, no, she just did it. She's, okay. she's starting to pull green tomatoes because of the dang squirrels. Yeah. Oh, I want to know which one will I work. mean, it runs people crazy. They spend all this time, this energy, and sometimes even money, uh, to get, <laughs> you know, yeah. these gardens ready to go. And, you know, the produce is just now coming around. And to me, I mean, the prize produce still in any garden to me is a tomato. And here comes the squirrels. And, they're, yeah. and you know, if they would take it away and eat the whole thing and it saved their life because they're starving to death, that's one thing. That's not the case. They'll take two or three bites, look at you, and throw it on the ground and go pluck another one. <laughs> it's just not right. <laughs> nope, that didn't taste right. Oh, my goodness. So how easy would gardening be without of all the critters but then that would mess up our whole eco balance too well, we have to have them. but you know there's a thing as we get out of balance too where you have too many mm-hmm. and it and because well you know it's even like with hunting deer and all there there's times where you you can only get one deer a season and then there's time because the population's low and then there's times that there's way too much population so either way, the deer is going to not be able to survive because there's overpopulation, or we can hunt more yeah. as long as we're using it well, for food. Well, we need more I owls and, and hawks around here. I'm telling you, because the squirrel oh. population, there's more squirrels in Memphis than the whole southern that's states a, combined. That's a good thought, though. We don't ever talk about getting the owls and the hawks. And they're getting their fair the share, squirrels. I'm sure. Yeah. But maybe if we get more. And, you know, I think every homeowner should have a pellet gun, too. Just yeah. saying. Yeah, yeah. And we need about a bat box for all the mosquitoes mm. that happen. Again, bats eat a lot. I mean, even the martin houses. Why can't we have some martin houses for a few mosquitoes? Well, it would catch. be a few mosquitoes because right. you, if, you're, if you're relying on martin, purple marts, to get mm. rid of your mosquitoes, you're going to get eat up, okay? I wonder why people put those up all their life knowing they control or, or feeling like they control mosquitoes, but then we find out they don't. Well, not really, because they, <laughs> no, I don't know. they're flying so high and the mosquitoes are so low. Now, they'll eat a few mosquitoes, and they'll yeah. find a few mosquitoes, you know, in their beaks or whatever. <laughs> but it, it, it's, it's, it's one of those misnomers where, you know, mm-hmm. you're not 
back in the day, like you said, Veda, people would plant purple martins. I mean, they love the purple martins, first of all. And that's the main reason you should plant uh, or plant or put up a purple martin house is to enjoy yeah, the purple martins. I was going to ask you about that plant yeah. purple martin. But if you're doing it to control mosquitoes, then you are sorely going to be just upset. Yeah. So then we can go with the dragonflies and the bats, you know, get the bat house and all. And, and you know, there's big, not here, but... Can you imagine? I wonder how many mosquitoes those bats that live in the Amazon eat that are like three feet tall bats. We don't have them around here, so what does it matter? No, but just think about it. It'd be great. It'll be great. We're going to take a break and just hang on. We'll be right back. Good morning, gardeners. We're going to oh no another good song quit playing the good songs that i want to listen to when we're supposed to be talking though (laughs) um that's like the can you see your husband walking out into his lawn not like you can with this music going and he's got his pump up sprayer and his rake and his gardening cape on. Oh, my God. And he's just marching through the yard. <laughs> and, then he trip, and then he yeah. trips over the hoe. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> of course. Okay. okay, so this is what's on the list for your husband to do today in his gardening cape. Um, That's funny. So, you know, we can cut stuff back now, like in your perennial garden. Mm-hmm. Say your coneflower or your Shasta daisies or your minardia, mm-hmm. whatever type, type that you have. That did its blooming and it's, or for some reason, the Japanese beetles ate it. Yeah. Or you had flea beetles eat it. Or it got too dry and it's burnt yeah, up, you know. just cut it in half. Clean it up. Yeah, cut it in half, clean it up. Because, I mean, there it's not going to recover very beautifully. It could stay there and hang out. But if you want it to bloom again, recover, look good again, just cut it back or, in half. Or even, half. like you said, flush back out, maybe. Yeah. I mean, it's not the worst than old, tired, burnt-up-looking no. perennials. You know, there can be, like on our shelf, a group of perennials <clears> that <throat> I'm like, well, you know, they just weren't like in that location on the shelf or they yeah. weren't getting hit enough. So I'll cut them back, fertilize them, them water, and put them in the greenhouse, let them flush back out. And they look brand new again. Yeah. And speaking of perennials, there's a new perennial uh, new to me anyway, and I think it's actually fairly new on the market. You know, forever and a day, people have always tried to grow lavender around here without mm-hmm. any success, it seems like, because lavender is just it's just not indigenous to this area. I mean, our heavy clay soil, you know, holds yeah. too much water, and lavender hates wet feet. It's got to have perfect drainage. Well, then they started developing, you know, these, these lavenders that actually do better in the south. Yeah. And one of them, as you know, Veda, is the phenomenal, okay? We've sold phenomenal for quite a few that years. That lavender is so phenomenal. It is so phenomenal. <laughs> and, hey, that, why don't we name it that? Yeah. That's the name of the uh, this lavender. Well, there's a new one that just came out called Sensational, okay? Mm. And Sensational is um, it's a new introduction. It's from the same growers that develop Phenomenal. And it's a more of a compact type lavender it doesn't get quite as tall as the phenomenal does uh and you know everything i've read about sensational it, it's, it's got all the same great attributes that phenomenal has so if you want uh lavender whether it's in beds or whether it's mm-hmm. in containers or whether you want to plant uh, stagger lavender you can have phenomenal in the back and sensational in the front you said plant stagger mm-hmm. lavender is there a stagger 
yeah, variety you can, you can, of lavender? Yeah, well, you, you can plant the taller ones in the back, Veda, and the shorter stag- ones in the front. Stagger the lavender. Yeah. So, it, but it, it's neat. It's neat that there, there are, you know, developing these yeah. these perennials mm-hmm. that typically you would find more up north or or a more of a mountainous region than you would here in the deep south. Um, but phenomenal and sensational would be mm-hmm. definitely be my top two lavenders. Whether it's going in containers, like mm-hmm. I said, or whether it's going in the ground. But check out this new one called Sensational. Like I said, it's, it's got all the same attributes. It's just a little shorter variety than the Phenomenal. You know, if I wanted to have that look, you know, you've probably seen pictures where mm-hmm. there's a whole bunch of lavender, like a field of lavender. Oh, sure. And so if I wanted to do my curb between the sidewalk and the street in lavender, I would actually build like a outline the uh, little green area mm-hmm. between the curb and the sidewalk with uh, like four by four timbers, you know, where it's not really showing up yeah, a lot, yeah. but just enough to get it raised some. So raising that bed yeah, to improve that drainage. Right. And then I would use like a good mix to start with, but something, it's, it's kind of hard to get it where it's going to be real light, but still hold moisture long enough. But then the lavender doesn't have to have that moisture all the time. So, I mean, I might even go as far as using all the good compost, adding that Enlighten, mm-hmm. that rock. And the soil, can you tell the, the soil perfector. So yeah, the, the soil perfector. Um, but you're right, Veda. And, and even in containers, you know, you got to make sure you have a container that has really good drainage, a good lightweight potting soil, because you do see so many people suffer Trying, well, I say people suffer. Plants, <laughs> people do too, but the plants suffer. Um, it, it's just, it's it, unless you've got good drainage, don't waste your time trying to grow lavender because yeah. it's just not going right. to work. So I have it in my container, and so obviously my container has great drainage because it has holes in the bottom, and the soil that I used actually did not contain any sand or enlighten. It was just a good, rich organic matter. But it's mm-hmm. draining, and my lavender has been in this container for two years. Mm-hmm. I've even left it through the intense summer. But I'm always adding worm castings and using the uh, seaweeds and yeah. stuff like that to keep it hardy. But if I had to planted it outside in the ground in some poor soil, it's it's wilts. Yeah, that's what it. I mean, you would no, it's not wilt. It's like melts. Yeah, that's it, the word. It's, it's wilting too. Start. I'm telling you. Yeah, so I think y'all should definitely try the lavender. And so the raised bed that I'm going to do all down the sidewalk, and then the plant the lavender in there. That could give you close to the lavender field look. And then, like the phenomenal, mm-hmm. its blooms look different. A little than different. The, than yeah. the tra- traditional, very first lavender we knew about. Yeah, and there's so many lavenders out there on the market. You treat them all the same. And I don't mind planting any and all of those, you know, whether it's mm-hmm. the French lavenders, the, the Spanish lavenders on down the line. But I'm telling you, at some point, I'm definitely going to have some phenomenal lavender mm-hmm. in there, and I'm going to have some of that sensational lavender in there. Only because genetically they will probably be easier, especially for beginners, yeah. uh, to grow lavender and really be successful with it, right. Beta. You know, <clears throat> speaking of growing and lavender and all that, there's a couple of flower beds at the garden center <coughs> that I want to plant. And I want I am in the mood to do it like right now. Now what's now. in a mail though? 
Uh, right now, there's some coneflower, a pink knockout rose. Oh, so they're already billion. planted then. Yeah, I've got stuff there, but I want to add. Uh, like, so it's not brand new. Right. I want to add some color, some lavender, some more varieties of perennials, maybe another green mm. shrub so everything's not gone. <clears throat> but here's what you got to think about. If we planted on Saturday, which is today, closed on Sunday, closed on Monday. Because it's the, the fourth. That's two days without water in this heat. So, y'all, don't plant today and don't think you cannot wait. Don't plant today and then go out of town for the next two days. Oh, don't go out of town for the next week. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, even in two days, if I plant all these one-gallon or these four-inch containers and it's on the west side, so it's getting sun all day, it's going to be very stressed or dry by the time I get to water it on Tuesday. So if you're not going to be around or want to take care of it, we don't want to talk you talk us out of getting garden center cells, but yeah. I want your stuff to live. Yes. So think about that. But what you can do now also, okay, so we talked about chopping perennials in half, you know, making them come back, you know, annuals. Mm-hmm. Why can't you do that with annuals? Like, for instance, my petunias in my container mm-hmm. that are trailing over the side, I always... Every couple of days or so, pinch off a long piece, you know, pinch it up closer to the pot. Yeah, these are cascading type yeah, petunias? Yeah, the red cascading mm. petunias. Because they don't like the competition as much, yeah. you know, with other plants, so they're really in competition there. But I've continually, through this last six weeks or so, just take long pieces off and they... They stay bulkier. More bushier. Yeah, not as late. More bushier, more bushy. Oh, yeah, bushier. Yeah. It's more bushier. But you're right. I yeah. mean, so you're, you're cleaning, you know, especially the dried up looking perennials. You're, you're getting in there, better cleaning those up, cutting them back if you need to, especially the ones that have already mm-hmm. bloomed, and just come back and feed and they'll flush back out. Well, we're constantly also, other than watering, you know, we're kind of cleaning our annuals also. Yeah. Now, the yeah. beauty of the annual is it's supposed to be blooming every day for us, mm-hmm. where the perennials just have a blooming season. So, you know, if you go in there and cut annuals back, which you surely can do if you if they yeah. look bad, uh, they should flush back out and start blooming again. It just takes a minute. That's all. Mm-hmm. Just a minute. So also, <laughs> like we were talking about shrubs, some that we like. I don't think we went over our shrub list. But one of them is, is for me now, is the tropical hibiscus. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, there's double blooming orange, and there's red, and there's big yellow ones with the red in the center and all that. So if you're growing hibiscus and you keep seeing yellow leaves like in the mm-hmm. middle, you're just not giving it enough water. Just bottom line, that's all it is, is just bump up your watering. It's my, for my containers on my porch, one is um, a peach color, double blooming hibiscus. And then I have a terenia, the one that's yellow and purple terenia. So I've got that in there. Now I have three more spaces in that container to add some things. Yeah. So I don't know what I'm putting in that one. But then I've got a Big elephant ear and sedum in another. Well, tropicals are really showing their beautiful faces this time mm-hmm. of year. They are. Uh, you know, and whether it's the tropical hibiscus, the mandevillas, the alamandas, and on down the line, Veda. The beauty of a tropical is, I mean, typically why we plant them is because of the bloom. I mean, they bloom their it, heads yeah. off. I mean, and they love the hot weather. We should just put those under the mm. annual category and then we can talk more about our categories and tropical hibiscus because it sounds like you're in love Well, with because them I also want to talk about the hardy hibiscus and the rose oh, of Sharon. Yes. They're, they're all in the hibiscus family, they are. aren't they? Okay, y'all. 
Call us at 260-5926 or tune into Facebook Live. Or don't forget, you can listen to our podcast, too. We'll be right back. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all could join us on this 4th of July weekend. And we were going over garden tips, but wait, what was the other thing I said we were talking about and then we're going to come back and talk about? Yeah, we're going to talk about the Althea's, but if you want to oh, give yeah, us a call, yeah, yeah. 260-5926, 260-5926, go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page, guys, and you can see Miss Vader right there. Shoot us a text. And later on, you can always go to uh, kwamradio.com and listen to the podcast, Vader. A lot of people yeah. do that if they can't pick it up on a Saturday morning. But you were talking about tropical hibiscus. Uh, which I love. I mean, whether it's the tree form or the shrub form, the beauty of a tropical hibiscus is in things bloom their heads off. They bloom until you let them die in the wintertime, okay? Or you try to take them inside. Mm -hmm. But there are two other hibiscus out there. There's the Althea, which is the Rose of Sharon. And then there's the Hardy Hibiscus. Uh, Now, the Althea, which is the Rose of Sharon, it's going to get about 8 to 10 foot tall. Uh, but it, it's beautiful. It blooms this time of year, um, and you, it comes in a lot of different colors. And then, of course, you've got the hardy hibiscus. Um, <laughs> you're talking about beautiful, and these things that had these beautiful big old blooms on them, you can't go wrong. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> you can't go wrong with these um, hardy hibiscus. So look at the uh, Rose of Sharon, which is the Althea, and also look at the hardy hibiscus. And Miss Veda be right back. I gotta sneeze one second. <coughs> Excuse me, guys. A little sinus is going on. So, like I said, whether it's a tropical hibiscus, whether it's a hardy hibiscus, or whether it's the Althea's, you, if you're looking for beautiful summer bloom, you cannot go wrong <coughs> with any of those. So, check those out for sure. And you know, like I mean. It is, I like the plants that are so easy to grow. I mean, to me, that's those two are so easy. So, Althea's, Rose of Sharon, <coughs> and the Hardy Hibiscus. If you want to give us a call, 260-5926, 260-5926, or shoot us a text on the Mighty 990 Facebook page. <coughs> All right, guys, so we got other things to talk about, um, and we'll get into this when Veda gets back in here, but one of the things is, of course, the bees and the wasp. Um, you know, we love them or, to have them around for pollinating, but in a lot of times, a lot of cases, we don't want to have them around. So we'll get into what should we do if we're having a problem with bees and wasps, Miss Veda. What do you think? Well, bees and wasps. Bees and wasps. So, uh, <laughs> like the varieties of bees and wasps. God, I would. I, I, you know, I did that to you on purpose. I left. I sprinkled some sneeze weed on you. Woo! I mean, so why I'm gone? You can just well, but like when you're gone, I was talking about the Althea's and the Rose of Sharon. You know, mm-hmm. and all three of those are. I got to sneeze again. All three of those are hibiscus. Right, and so like when you see the Althea's, you never think ever that it could be in the hibiscus family just uh when you see the bushes versus like the tropical hibiscus and then the perennial hibiscus but then the altheas when you actually look at the blooms 
they look you the same. You start seeing the similarity, yeah. But but some of the truly some of these hardy hibiscus that had those major those big mm-hmm. blooms on them. Some yeah. of them have small blooms, but some of them have those big blooms. They're beautiful. I'm mm-hmm. telling you. Um, and then, like I said, the Altheas, they usually get a lot bigger than, say, the hardy hibiscus yeah. do. They turn into almost like a multi-trunked tree. tree. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, they can get up to 8 to 10 foot tall. And there's some, and I don't, I can't remember where, Veda, but it was in a parking lot in front of a grocery store. And they were lined with these white Altheas. Nice. And it was beautiful, I'm telling mm-hmm. you. Um, but if you want good summer bloom, yeah, you we just don't can't, use that a lot. You we can't go to, wrong because there's new varieties out there. Okay, so we're going to start using the Althea a lot more. Oh, and then we just had uh, Pam Green text in. We'd go with her through her text real quick before, um, and she had set, was wondering what type <clears> of uh, <throat> pot, or yeah, what type of pot do I have the lavender in? Do I leave it all? out all winter and she hasn't had any luck wintering lavender over in the pot and um so what i've actually what pot is this lavender in no hold on da, da, say da, that da. again she's she haven't was, had hadn't had luck over wintering it now i think it could be okay the pot all right i just have to say it's not a clay or a concrete pot it's not resin you know it's kind of like one of those pots that you just kind of find around maybe plastic but thicker plastic. So it's a plastic, thicker plastic pot. And the soil I used was the, um, just a good organic soil. And I didn't actually put anything else in it. It overwintered definitely this winter, but I pushed it up against the house. So it had, you know, warmth from the bushes in the house. It wasn't like sitting out in the yard. Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, I don't mind trying to, of course, leave things outside in containers mm-hmm. that will winter over. But I think it depends on, A, the size of the container. That's a good point. Uh, yeah. And the, the winter that we get, mm-hmm. uh, if, if you have a, uh, a plant like a lavender in a mm-hmm. small pot. Yeah, that's a good and point. And it freezes through that pot. Then I don't care what yeah. you put in there. It's probably not going to make yeah. it. Yeah, because this was like 12-inch pot, possibly. Should be big enough. Yeah, which isn't large, but it's still a good 12-inch, 10-inch, maybe 14, really. So, yeah, there Surely was... Surely big was, enough. Yeah, yeah. there was a, enough insulation around it. And and what happened was parts of it died out, though, you know, not. And so then I just cut it all back and it flushed back out. This was an experience for me, too, because I did this, planted it last spring and wanted to just go through the whole, never grown one in a container in this condition. Also, it has, it doesn't get full sun. And I know they need to at least get six hours or so to get the proper smells and the oils and Mm. all that out of them. But it's just pretty. So I would say just a good organic potting soil that doesn't hold water too long or doesn't drain too fast. At least a 14 size inch pot and then push it up or protect it in the wintertime. Yeah, I mean, you really can't do more than that. In fact, but I think, you know, they should overwinter just as well in a container as they would in a bed. Especially mm-hmm. if you've got good, high-quality potting soil in there. Yeah. And then, like you said, especially if it's somewhat insulated yeah. uh, and it's not too small of a pot. I'm That's the biggest thing. I remember. I think the variety <clears throat> that I used, that definitely makes a difference here, too. Like the Phenomenal, the Goodwin Creek. Uh, that's a good one, which I think is what I have. Is, isn't it called Goodwin Creek Lavender? Yeah. Yeah. 
think that's the one that I'm using in there. And we also planted it in our flower beds out in front of the garden center. Now it's in a square garden bed surrounded by a concrete, like a concrete curb. And then there's the street in front of it and then two parking places on each side of that and then the building on the other side. And I planted lavender in there two years ago with using that earth mix soil amendment. As a perennial. Yeah, as a perennial. It's still there. Yeah, it's still, it's went through the snow, it's went through everything, and it's just come back with no problem. So try the lavender again, maybe work on, and then of course it depends on how big your root system is and all that before you get to the winter too. Well, it needs to be somewhat established for sure. But I mean, the reason we're bringing all this up is don't think that you can't grow lavender here in the Mid-South because you can under the right conditions. So thanks, Pam Green, for that question. And then I interrupted you because I want to get her question. We were on the hibiscus. We're going to talk about, well, the hibiscus, Althea's, hardy Mm -hmm. hibiscus. You can't go wrong with those. They're absolutely beautiful guys, including the tropical hibiscus. Now, the beauty, the Althea's are going to come back and so are the hardy hibiscus. But when we get back, we're going to also talk about the hornets and the, well, not really so much hornets, but the, the wasp and the bees. That's funny you've got that. Is that friend or foe? We'll, we'll just answer that. You know. I'll make you hang on to find out. Because I know y'all are all saying faux. I think it could be both. I we'll totally see. agree with that. Okay, y'all. We've had two hours, and it's awesome. Looking forward to the third hour with y'all. We'll be right back. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back. We're glad to be with you in the third hour. You can catch our podcast, uh, just put in Mid-South Gardening. It's really the first two hours, I guess probably because maybe people are more likely to be sleeping the first two hours of Mm. our show with the third hour it's not on the podcast but that's late y'all better be up by now I'm yeah just telling you heck yeah kwmradio.com <laughs> that's where you'll find the podcast and of course the mighty 990 facebook page that's where you can shoot us a text like audrey fielding did we'll get to her question in just a second but it's easy if you want to give us a call 260-5926 260-5926 and audrey texted in she said a question when you spray these concentrates like for aphids, uh, lace bug, et cetera, should you water and spray in the morning before the blazing sun? And do you spray the leaf or just the base of the plant? P.S. We don't have squirrels. We have hogs. Good for her. Mm -hmm. Because that's why they don't have any squirrels is because they have hogs. But that's a great uh, question because this time of year, Veda, as you know, when it's really, when it's hot and dry, you better spray early morning or late in the afternoon. You can't spray during the heat of the day. And just like Audrey was uh, questioning, you also have to make sure everything is hydrated before you spray. Can't spray anything that is dehydrated. So you make sure if you're spraying for whatever insects that you might be spraying for, uh, lace bug, like she said, aphids, uh, Japanese beetles, whatever, make sure everything's well hydrated and you spray early, early morning or late, late in the afternoon. In fact, I like spraying even early in the morning and better than late in the afternoon. Uh, that will help reduce the amount of burn that you potentially will get if you're not doing it that way. Right. That's <laughs> always good to know because so many people, I have had a lot of people come in with, oh. I mean, not this <clears throat> year, but throughout the time where their plants have been burned just by doing that, spraying at the wrong time. Yeah. Or hey. not or not having plants hydrated when they spray, even yeah. at the right time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Did you know somebody came into the garden center and asked me for some CO2? Mm. 
uh, spray or CO2 cartridges. And I was like, because the, uh, the salesperson had texted me and said, do we have or do you know what to do for some CO2 for plants? And I went, uh, talk to them, you know, and... So I started thinking, you know, there's a CO2 cartridges you now, can use wow. for paintball guns yeah. And, yeah. and stuff like that. So I thought, man, okay, it kind of sounds logical to put more CO2 on your plants because we say talking to them helps. There is <laughs> CO2 for plants. They use it in greenhouses or they have it in uh, bags, pumped in bags with seeds, all kinds of little things like that. I mean, I didn't read in depth of it, but I started looking in, you know, grower magazines and things like that. And there is CO2 that you can purchase. No, you can't just leave me hanging. You got to find out what I, the heck this is all about. I am going to have to find out because, I mean, I've never, never, never heard about it, read it, anything. But then I was looking it up and <clears> it's <throat> available all over the place for plants. And I'm going, okay. I mean, we know plants take in CO2 mm-hmm. or carbon monoxide. Yeah. And give off oxygen. Right. Um, but I've never heard of that before. The guy's like, I can't talk to the whole greenhouse <laughs> close enough to each plant. And I said, well, then have a party in there. And then there's a lot of people talking. Vader, you got you to gotta do some research. So You're he's, just... like, he's like, why don't I just get a CO2 canister? Okay, I just want to find. I'll probably find out. But I don't think you would ever need to, though. It was probably for growing weed or something. But you got no. Even that, you wouldn't need (laughs) to. You wouldn't think so. You got to find out. Okay, so if anybody's had any experience with that, I would love to know. Yeah, she's just throwing that out there, y'all. I don't believe a word of it. I don't think she even did any research. Yeah, I just thought I'd come up with some topic (laughs) topic to make us go. Hmm. (laughs) All right, we're wasp and hornets and. Are they good um, or are they bad? Right. And and what made me think of this is I've actually got two or three wasps, wasp nest mm-hmm. under the eaves of my house. Okay. But they are up so high to where I'm not going to worry about it. Yeah. Now, even this year, I've had people come into the garden center that have been stunk, okay, by wasp. Uh, the other day, a guy came in and said red wasp were the ones that got him. And it was a wasp nest that was under the eave of his house, <clears throat> and it was close to a back door, a kitchen back door that they never use. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know why he went out, <coughs> excuse me, this door uh, the other day, and sure enough, he got stung. <laughs> so my point is, if they're up high and they're they're not a bother to me, man, I'll, I'll leave them alone. Wasper, I mean, they eat mm-hmm. insects and everything else. They're not actually bad critters to have yeah. around. Now, they, we surely think they're bad when they sting us, okay? But I guess my point is, if you do have wasp nest under the eave or your house or wherever, and they potentially pose a problem to you, Veda, uh, whether you think you might get stung because they're so close to you in proximity or whether you have been stung, uh, there are some hornet wasp killers out there. They come in an aerosol can. You just push the little button at the top, and it will shoot a stream up to like 15 to 20 feet. And I'm going to tell you what, it will knock them dead Instantly. I mean, it's yeah. amazing how this stuff works. I mean, it, it really knocks mm-hmm. them dead. So, um, but, my, but the reason I'm bringing this up is just because you might see a wasp nest wherever 
doesn't mean that you need to go run and grab your hornet wasp killer and kill it just because you have a wasp yeah. nest, you know? Right. Uh, because they do do good agree. things out there. Yeah, totally agree. Um, because so, you can spray your wasp <clears throat> da- nest down with water and it coats the uh, wings of the wasp. You where better they run. Now, then you grab the wasp nest and relocate it. Mm-mm. And by the time they're dried off, then go find it. It works. I've, I've tried it. But am I going to try it today? No. Um, we're getting the balcony painted. And so got to take the screen, this uh, roll down bamboo screen down. And so my cat was out on the patio with me and she doesn't come out as much. <coughs> she seems to be kind of skittish. So she's hanging out on the patio and I'm standing on a little ladder reaching up to take one of the hooks off the bamboo screen. And then down at the other end, there's a, a wasp nest up at the top, mm-hmm. maybe <coughs> six inches from the hook. So I know if I just calmly reach up there and unhook it, it's not going to disturb them. They're not going to care. You know, just don't Depending on how close they are to that little hook. Well, they were like, one of my was saying six, eight inches. So, you know, if you just casually go up there and unhook it, yeah, you know, yeah. if you're not I'll trying just... to pull it and take it out with a screwdriver or whatever, making all kind of noise, which... <coughs> Which is fine. So I'm there and I'm not giving any scared hormones off to make them feel. So I'm casually doing it. Well, then all of a sudden on the other side of the patio, the guy starts raising the uh, machinery to come up and paint. So when it comes up, that freaks my cat up off, which then comes running towards me and climbs up me in the ladder while my hand's up there. Uh, right beside the wasp right nest. Right beside huh? the wasp nest. And scared me so bad, I thought I was going to fall over. The balcony. The down. balcony. Oh, so but how did that all turn out? Did you get stung? I did not get stung. Yeah, you got lucky. I was lucky on that, but mm. I'm thinking, okay, there's got to be, you, I have to be th- preparing more than that. Like any scaredy cat that's outside with me. Get it. Get scaredy it cat. in the house. Because well, there'll be people too standing out going, no, 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 I'm scared. Don't touch well, it. But, but to me, it, that's one of those situations where, you know, if I had, in your case, like a balcony out there, Veda, and I got the wasp nest right there in the corner of the balcony, I mean, I would probably get rid of those wasps. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying people yeah. should, but I, I personally probably would. Because anytime you go out on the balcony, if this nest gets big enough, you get quite a few wasps out there, you could easily get stunk, okay? Yeah. But then again, you know, if they're on the eve of a house, a story up, two stories up from, you know, my head, I'm not worried about that. Right. So it, to me, it all depends on the on where they are more than anything. Yeah, that's the whole thing. <clears throat> and, of course, if you're deathly allergic to them or, or things like that, of course, you're just not going to take one single chance. And then I knew the wasp nest was up there, and I knew I would have to get some bug spray to get it down. But all of a sudden, it was time right now. Oh, yeah, no you doubt. Know? And I'm like, well, I'm good with it. I can take it down. But I didn't think that this equipment was going to come up three flights of stairs <clears throat> on the patio and make my cat freak out and climb the ladder and me at the same time and even the the yellow jackets you know the ones that live in the ground uh i've gone out there late late in the day almost at dark uh with a can of the hornet and wasp killer you in know, your superman again, cape with that uh, music playing in the background no. <laughs> and i didn't trip over the hole right uh and spray this hornet wasp killer down in the hole but you got to know where the hole is because during the day you can see yellow jackets coming in and out of mm-hmm. the ground uh, so you have to find oh, out yeah. where that hole is uh, and I've gotten rid of them that way. And the same thing, the only reason I did it because it was right there on the corner of the house. Yeah. And that was, uh, you know, kids were playing around there. And I just didn't want those kids getting mm-hmm. stung, you know. 
normally if it was somewhere back in the backyard, way yeah. away, I would have never touched them. I didn't. Right. You know, I would. I wouldn't have cared if they Quit were there. Looking for them. Okay, mm. I do have to tell y'all though, if you're going to do any boxwood pruning, check for it, and it's inside for wasp nests because they're totally. Every summer when we would start pruning the boxwood, your instincts mm. all of us told you immediately, don't even until you check. I have gotten, you know, reaching in there and clipping long sure. pieces out. I've gotten eyeball to eyeball with one before and didn't even know the whole nest was there. Mm-hmm. And I'm just standing there stifled and staring and they're all facing me, you know. So check your boxwoods before you dig into those because I have got some stings from that. And... um then we've got some lots more things to talk about, but we want to hear these messages. So give us a call 260-5926 or text us on Facebook page and we'll be right back. Yeah. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you're with us today. I'm, Bi- I'm Baida with Palladio. Yes, she is. And I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers. And uh, we got a texter, as you call him. Yeah, I'm trying to find my text, Beta. Let me get two seconds One, here. Two. I think that's all I need. Um, <laughs> right here. Miss um, Judy Wood texted in. She said she was planning ahead. Uh, what's the best garlic for the Mid-South? And do tree collards or slash kale do well here? Uh, how about uh, sweet peas for the flower beds? Uh, garlic. Typically, the garlic that you find in the garden centers uh, is the garlic that's going to do well around here. Uh, I have to do, they to go back and look at it. There's a soft neck and a hard neck garlic. Uh, one of them does better here in the south, and that's typically the ones that you find in the garden centers, mm. okay? And you'll just, you know, buy the bag, which has got the garlic bulbs in there. <clears throat> then you take the bulb and break up into little cloves, yeah. plant the cloves, and they do just fine. You harvest them. Haven't you said one time before you could do them out of the <coughs> grocery store? Like you buy the cloves of garlic, and can well, you the, use those? You can. It's kind of like the potatoes. You never know what variety it is and a lot of times uh they've been sprayed to prevent them from sprouting mm, true or true. And now it, and i shouldn't say prevent to prolong them from sprouting yeah so that's not good uh, i mean so I, i'd rather buy you know garlic at the garden well, center, y'all sell it don't yeah, you? then i would say at mm-hmm. at the grocery store for that reason that yeah. reason only um so yeah i mean garlic is Really easy to grow. Well, I had no idea. You said hard neck and soft neck mm-hmm. garlic. Wow. So I don't know anything about that. Yeah. And like I said, and the garlic varieties that we carry, they do perfectly fine around here. And they'll be available again in the fall. They come in typically when the fall bulbs come in. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and then, then as, uh, as far as the, um, the uh, what did it say about the kale? Uh, the tree kale? Yeah, tree collards do? and kale. I'm not yeah. familiar with tree <clears throat> collards or tree kale the only time i've seen tree kale was cr- t- kale mm-hmm. that grew tall and the bottom leaves were stripped off the and i don't think kale. that's the same thing <laughs> yeah. so i mean people definitely grow uh kale and mm-hmm. collards around here as, as a fall crop no I don't doubt see why that would not work oh no whatever it, kind of kale it most definitely work. will yeah. but i'm but i'm not familiar with a tree collard a tree mm-hmm. kale so but they do just fine around here as a fall Crop and then the last thing was uh, a sweet peas. Um, you know, typically cooler weather there again. Uh, whether it's uh, you know early spring or uh, late summer, early fall, you know, is when you redo the sweet peas, Veda. Mm-hmm. So um, pl- yeah, planning ahead, sweet peas will be just fine. Yeah. Collards and kale, typical or everyday collards and kale, will be just fine. And the uh, the garlic varieties 
that you find in your local garden centers typically are the garden varieties that do the best yeah. here. You know, planning ahead, too, mm-hmm. was some of the things we were going to talk about on tips. But, no, really, I was going to talk mostly about, you know, what you can do in your yard right now. We went through the deadheading and cutting back. You know, it's not necessary. People like to deadhead butterfly bushes. You can. You can't. It doesn't matter each way. But I you'll like get the deadheading. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'll get more blooms on deadheading. <clears throat> um, also, you know, look at your landscape. And if you've got shrubs that are growing too close together and all, this is a perfect time to eliminate one of them mm-hmm. because they need their airflow. They need to not be com- uh, competing with plants that don't need to be there. Hold on. You're telling me that sometimes people will have a landscaper come in mm-hmm. and they'll landscape their yard or whatever for them. And you're telling me they sometimes put too many plants in there? <laughs> yeah. Think? Or too many shrubs? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You only need... Four shrubs, that'll fill that space properly, but we're going to plant eight mm. so it looks done now. But so that, so if that's happened, and people have done that, they're like, I'm going to plant six, and then when they start getting big enough, I'm going to take the ones out in between so the uh, uh, ones that I want to keep can grow to their fullest capacity. So if you're doing that or if you're noticing things growing together, too much then take some of it out because it's ruining the airflow which can cause fungal problems insect problems watering problems Uh, also that plant trying to live is taking up nutrients from the other plants and on and on so sometimes removing things is gonna help that helps or or, or thinning things out for sure thinning yeah i mean how many times have we seen whether it's knockout roses, whether it's autolucan laurels, whether it's Mahonia hollies, whatever. Mm-hmm. And they're just planted in there, like you said, more than, there sh- than it should be. And then you go through periods of like this spring where we had a lot of moisture, a lot of yeah. rain. Uh, the next thing you know, you've got, you know, all these fungal problems, uh, shot hole disease on mm-hmm. the laurels. You've got powdery mildew everywhere. You've got black spot. I mean, a lot of that is because... They're in there just too thick, Veda, like you're talking about, and they don't have that good air circulation. Or even if they're getting powdery mildew and things like that because they were planted in the right place four years ago, but the trees grew, you're getting more shade, which can cause not the right environment, which can cause insect and disease things. So there's nothing wrong with removing. Well, when you were doing landscaping, and I know you did it for years, I mean— Yes, I know that you went in and put a lot of plants in, Mm -hmm. but you also went in there and cleaned a lot of landscapes up. Yeah. And I remember seeing pictures of the before and after. Yeah, we would. Well, you would keep basically the same landscape they already had. Right. But trim everything back, kind of like recapture everything, Beta. Yeah, reclaiming it. And we took stuff out, too, because there was no need after they were grown to have that. And we would take, like, there would be a bush holly that the backside wasn't so good and it was kind of open and not thick and they wanted more planting space so we would actually just take all the bottom Mm. limbs off the holly which made it into a tree form which made it look bushy which then gave us room below to plant things so you didn't really mind pruning this time of year now i guess there are there things that maybe you wouldn't prune this time of year you know like we did prune japanese maples but that was just taking the inter smaller things off, just as little as possible and you can prune japanese Mm-hmm. maples people think you you know you can't touch them well you can i'm not yeah. saying people should touch them right and say but you 
can go in there and to me the the beauty of a Japanese maple is the is the natural mm-hmm. shape of the Japanese maple. Right. And you don't want to really mess that up. Yeah. And then if you, and then you can bonsai it if you wanted. But I don't take off big like over an inch, maybe even over a half an inch on Japanese maples. I don't take those off now. Unless try they're, hang, not unless they're to. hanging out over the walkway. Oh, try and I'm I don't care. I'm not gonna chop it off. I've heard somebody say, just chop it off. You know, the the form may not look good, but the whole deal was you were trying to get it out of the walkway. Going, I can't live like that with a chopped off Japanese maple. But how many people do you see growing and planting these, mm-hmm. especially these uh, fine lace leaf weeping Japanese maples yeah. on either side of their walkway right there as you mm-hmm. enter uh, the little porch area? Yeah. And they're beautiful now, but uh, but they, they're going to grow. And eventually they start crowding out yeah. and growing over the little walkway there. So yeah, you're constantly fat. keeping those... And there's not a worse look mm-hmm. <laughs> to yeah. me than I mean, you, I mean, what do you do? You yeah, have to exactly. do it. What are you going to do? But yeah. you you have this blocked off Japanese beautiful Japanese maple just just sheared off on one mm-hmm. side of it, and the other side looks natural yeah. and fine. It's just not the best look in no. the world. And so you would have to start really young from it from uh, when it was young and pruning continuously to keep it off the sidewalk, which is totally doable, but what happens with us is we're not thinking about it until it's too No, and it's kind of it's kind of yeah. like the square azaleas, you know, or, yeah. or the azalea hedge. You know how many times, you know, mm-hmm. when we see azaleas blooming in the spring, you're going to see some square azaleas out there, and you're going to see, like, what we call the azalea hedge, mm-hmm. okay? It's it's not that you can't do it, Veda. It's just maybe you shouldn't yeah, do it. You shouldn't. It's just not that good look. Yeah, you know you got these little blooms poking out of a square box, basically. Um, other things you can do is root stimulate things with the seaweed, like like you're saying, once a week for three weeks. Anything that's stressed. Yes. Yeah. Anything that's underwatered, Gosh. overwatered, yeah. you know, in the grown, you know, just planted right, for just sure. Planted, yeah. uh, I, I tell people every day, a root stimulator is never going to hurt a plant. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Never is going to hurt a plant. You're exactly right. And because like we said last time, you've got the thick root and then you've got a root that grows off the root and then you've got the root hairs that are on the root and mm-hmm. the root hairs is what takes the moisture and the nutrients mm-hmm. up and so you're trying that's what you're trying to grow are those little root hairs yeah and whether it's root stimulator that you're mm-hmm. using uh, diluting and pouring on the root base or the root zone whether it's uh, super thrive whether it's uh, liquid seaweed and then even the fox farm you know yeah. the uh, the kangaroos all of those products are great products and all those products are designed to stimulate good root growth and of course root growth is the key but if you've got plants that are suffering, like you said, Vader, or that are stressed for whatever reason, usually underwatering, overwatering, just planted, uh, you want to do everything you can to stimulate good new root growth, and that's the way to do it. And you mentioned doing it once a week for three or four weeks. That's exactly what I would recommend initially anyway. And then you can go back and use it every two weeks, once a month, whatever. But the better root system you have, of course, the healthier plant that you're going to have. Exactly. The foundation. <laughs> So we're going to talk about some more tips when we come back and some other fun things.
Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad we can be together this morning. Um, so some of the other things. Oh, one thing I wanted to mention. Well, there's a lot of things. So much we can mention about watering. But I noticed that when plants get grown and they're full and they're planted, maybe not too close, but close together. Mm-hmm. And then it gets like a light or a rain that you think would be sufficient. Mm-hmm. But it never got to the soil because the plants were... Uh, the foliage was so thick it couldn't go through the foliage enough to actually get to the soil oh, wow. enough. And so then I was also I was thinking about this and then I looked it up to the very best, most efficient irrigation is the low pressure in, on the ground oh, sure. irrigation. I mean you're gonna use ninety percent more water efficiently yeah, doing that. Yeah, because you want to water you want to get the water to the roots. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Uh, and most of your irrigation systems are going to concentrate on getting water to the roots. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the homeowners that, like me, that if I'm out there just running a sprinkler, then, Betty, you're right. Depending on the shrubs, I mean, a lot of times if, if you've got a thick stand of shrubs uh, or even some tree, like banana trees, yeah. you know, water sheds right off that leaf and it runs it right out to the side. <laughs> All right. Or if you got different types of, say, magnolias, same thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you in some cases, you've got to make sure the water gets to the root yeah. uh, that's under the canopy of these shrubs that you might have. Right. So you can capture <laughs> more water, too, if the water's getting there. You can capture more water if, you're, if your soil is just kind of flat and looks dead. Mm-hmm. Add compost and add mulch. And that helps hold that moisture mm-hmm. in for sure. And capture it, too, and help it and hold it enough to where it can actually percolate down instead of run off. Yeah. yeah. Had a lady into the garden center yesterday, and she's uh, she moved in from California, a uh, sweet lady, about a year ago. And she's now, you know, just trying to get used to the Mid-South, uh, whether it's, mm-hmm. you know, and she loves gardening. The place she moved into, she said, was just beautiful. Whoever had had the house before her was yeah. a big-time gardener, okay? And she's just trying to hang on. <laughs> well, one of the things that she was talking about yesterday was some of the varmints. And she was wanting to get rid of what she thought were critters that lived in the ground. And there was, she saw some holes out there, and, of course, she had moles, Okay. Starting with the holes, she thought they were vole holes, uh, but the holes were about the size of a, you know, a big silver dollar, okay? And that's typically the size of a chipmunk hole, you know, (laughs) because vole holes are about the size of a quarter. And she's like, well, I don't want to kill the chipmunks. I'm like, well, that's up to you, okay? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I said, because I was showing her this ramic rat bait. Uh, Uh It looks like a little green marble that you can roll down in their holes, and Usually, if there's a varmint in there, in this case, a chipmunk or a vole, if they eat it, of course, it's going to kill them. Um, so she talked herself out of trying to kill uh, the chipmunks because she likes the way they look. And I was like, okay. Yeah. But then she also started talking about the mole. She didn't know what it was, but something was pushing up mounds of dirt mm-hmm. uh, in the grass area, Okay. And I said, well, that's a, that's a mole doing that. And she said, well, what are the, you know, how do I get rid of a mole? And I was like, well, there's, there's different angles. And we've talked about this before, yeah. Beta, whether you're putting down the grub killers to kill their food source, whether you're putting down the repellents, which is castor oil, to repel them out of that area, uh, whether you're putting down the baits like the poison peanuts or the poison worms, or if you're trying to trap them. Or that you can <laughs> use the windmills or the sonic vibrators right. or the, yeah. And yeah. So she said, uh, trap, I mean, she said, well, how do you trap a mole? She said, can I see a mole trap? 
<laughs> I said, not a problem. So I got one of these traps down. It's a mm-hmm. spear trap. Yeah. And I said, now, the, you know, you have to set this trap over an active tunnel. And I had to explain what an mm-hmm. active tunnel was. An active tunnel is uh, either a new tunnel, yeah. you know, that they just used, or a tunnel that you, you know, you pushed all the tunnels down. And the next day, the tunnel that's mm-hmm. risen back up, you know, they're using that tunnel. So, and I had to take it out of the box and show her, and I said, now, this thing is dangerous. It's got spears on it, and, it, you know, this is where it goes, and you push it down, and as the mole comes through the new, t- you know, the active tunnel, his back will hit this pan, and these spears come down. And she was, okay, okay, I can, okay, all right, I got that. She's like, okay, well, hang on. What, where's the mole uh, when the trap? I said, well, I said, these spears are spearing the mole. She said, well, how do I get the mole off the trap? (laughs) Y'all, I'm telling you. I said, well, you got to either just pull the trap off and take the mole off. And she, like, her eyes started getting glazed Uh at this point. I said, or you can get your feet and kind of push them close together and pull (laughs) the trap up. I said, that way you're kind of just pushing the mole off of these little spears. I swear to y'all, she almost fainted. I'm serious. (laughs) She's like... There is no freaking way that I'm going to use this mold trap. Right. I mean, Veda, it was, I mean, but she was so gung-ho on trying mm-hmm. to get rid of these molds. But when it came down to using something like a mold trap, yeah. and she was, oh, it, no, that was not going to happen. Oh, I can imagine that. I mean, so yeah. somebody needs to come up with a mold trap that's going to kill the mold, but somehow get rid of the mold, okay, where you don't ever have to see it. You know, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. But she did so wind up. you could use uh, but, syringes with um, oh, here, numbing it, gel. Oh, and when I. And, and then you can, they'll be passed out and you can just relocate them that way. Would that just, help? It was the funniest thing. I'm just telling That's you. So she was cute. like, oh, I mean, she almost, she got lightheaded. Uh-huh. She she's like uh you know oh, and couldn't and couldn't, and couldn't talk so she wound up getting talk. <laughs> she wound up getting the uh, the Molmax or the Molmax which is the uh, repellent the castor oil mm-hmm. and then she got the uh, the the grub killer she was going to put the grub killer down and have it watered in had the yeah. irrigation watered in last night and then she was going to come back today and use the um, the mold repellent. And that's fine. I, I said a lot of people do use more than one thing to try yeah, to get rid of these things. Yeah, that's what you got to do. Um, um, well, so now I'm thinking of something we can use to control voles with. It's a carnivorous plant that traps prey underground. I and want it's one. the first of its kind to be discovered. And it was in Indonesia where they discovered it. So bizarre, but it's a true pitcher plant. Wow. You know, the ones that hang down and then they've got the little pitchers. Yeah, it, it usually holds water and yeah, then the bugs fall in there. Right. They... Yeah, so this one's growing underground or in crevices underground. And they've, uh, they're four inches. And so they found insects in there and they found uh, rats or mice, you know, that's, that's that small in the pitcher plant being digested. So, if we could grow those here, maybe they could take care of our moles. <laughs> <laughs> and voles. And voles. Yeah, voles mostly because they're smaller, small enough. But it is a carnivorous plant that preys underground. That is unbelievable. Yeah, that's what they thought too when they discovered it. Unbelievable. Uh, so, it's just amazing what's out there. So, maybe we could replicate... Replicate... That... A uh, carnivorous plant into something that we could purchase to put in the ground to eat them. Well, I don't know, but I'm telling you, 
be careful what you're saying to women when it comes to mole traps. Because I'm ser- I thought this woman was going to faint. I'm serious. Ugh. When I was telling her how she needed to get the mole off of the trap itself, but it, but voles. I mean, and like I told her, and she. I don't know if she knew this or not, but voles to me, V-O-L-E-S, are just as damaging as moles. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mole is just tearing up your yard looking for something to eat. That's all it's doing. It's just tunneling around. Just hanging out. Letting yeah, but, but they do yeah. tear up your yard. And they push up dirt and make these dirt mounds and everything. And we don't like that, of course. But a vole, a vole is the little varmint that's out there eating the roots off your plants, whether it's hostas, camellias, roses on down the line. I think I'd rather have 10 moles than one vole. Uh, and to get rid of voles, I told her, and this is the funniest thing, too, after I told her about the mole trap, I said, you can get these uh, little rat baits, and you can drop these down in the hole, and if they eat it, of course, it kills them. I said, but also people have used mouse traps, And I said, you get the old-fashioned mouse trap, and you bait it with the meat of a pecan, okay? And you set that baited trap beside one of the little quarter-sized holes, which is about the size mm-hmm. of a quarter, like I said, which is a vole hole. And I said, then you get a clay pot, and you cover the trap. And you will snap them. Mm-hmm. And she was thinking, okay, that's good. But then it hit her again. Okay, what do you do when you catch one? I said, well, you take the pot off and you take the vole off the trap. Mm-hmm. Almost, no, I can't do that either. Almost fainted again. I know. I mean, they Well, I can get that. We had a lady come in and I was uh, telling her about the earthworm castings and what it is and showing her how the dirt was and all. And she said, I just... I just can't do it. She goes, it was about dancing around going, no, I can't think of that in my house and my house plants. No, will it get worms? Can, or if I use it outside, will I get worms in my soul? And I'm like, yes, you want worms in your soul. She's like, no, I know that they're all good for the soul, but I can't do it. <laughs> I'm just telling you. But, I but I mean, it, environments are, and that's why we're bringing this up. I mean, environments are a problem, you know, just like squirrels. We're talking about getting the tomatoes and everything else, the moles, the voles, and we're not going to get rid of all of them. You just can't. Yeah. Uh, we do the best we can, and there are products out there that surely help us stay as varmint-free as possible, uh, and it's just up to the homeowner which, you know, which, which method they want to use mm-hmm. and which method they don't want to use, but uh, we just, you know, you just try to do the best you can. All right, we're going to take a break, and then we'll come back for some more fun. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Um, On it this morning, Hattie. Huh? Josh. Our, oh, Josh the, the good The program guy? director. Yeah, <laughs> he's been... He's been He's been keeping us in a straight line and playing some good music Yeah, this or morning. do you get to pick the music, Josh? No. So, so we were giving him the credit. Yeah. He should have said yes. <laughs> but he's like, no, I don't listen to that kind of music. I'm much younger. Hey, you know, we're doing, yeah. exactly. <laughs> you know, we're, uh, we're doing a lot of watering, of course. And, you know, we really had a very wet early spring. I mean, it started raining back in November and didn't stop until, you know, mid-April, if you think about it. Right. And one of the things that excessively moist soil uh, can create is uh, some moss growth, Veda, as you know. Um, and I've had people asking about moss. And typically, you know, we, we always have that bigger problem in the spring when we do have all that moisture. But like I said, since it's been so dry, and I guess we've been watering so much, that we're still seeing moss growth out there. Because usually <laughs> by this time of year, when it's hot and dry, it's already turned yeah. brown. It's not doing any growing. But uh, there is some, um, some moss out there. Now, you can either embrace moss or you can try to get rid of moss, okay? Most people try to get rid of it. And if you have a situation where you don't want moss growth, 
of course, there are some moss killers out there, uh, and most of those are just iron what iron sulfate veda that mm-hmm. uh, yeah. um, that will kill the moss, turn it black. But you have to look at the underlying problems. Why do I have moss to start with? And that's usually compaction of the soil. Uh, so aeration would definitely help. Usually the soil is becoming acidic. So raising the pH by putting down lime will help make it less conducent for that moss to grow there. Uh, typically poor drainage. Uh, and also usually a shady environment. Not always, but typically a shade environment. So if you can create more sunlight, yeah, inc- increase the drainage, mm-hmm. or, or, you know, because you definitely probably have poor drainage back there, aerate the soil to where you don't have the compaction, and then raise the pH, you're going to make it less conducent for that moss to grow. And give your grass a better chance to grow, okay? Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, like I said, if you want to kill moss that is actively growing, you can buy like Bonide Moss Max, either in a granulated version or even a liquid water uh, ready-to-spray version that you hook yeah. to your hose. And like I said, all it is, it's iron phosphide. Mm-hmm. It's a heavy concentration of iron, and it will just turn that moss black, yeah. I'm telling you. Right. And But then you've got to change why it happened That's, or you're going to constantly be spraying. Exactly. Which is, and so you just gave the list of how to change it. That's what I'm saying. So don't yeah. just rely on just killing the moss. Also rely on making it less conducent to grow there. Now, like I said, the flip side of the coin <clears throat> is to embrace the moss. I've seen people, especially depending on where it's growing, whether it's on the side of a house, on the north side, you know, nothing else is really over there, Mm -hmm. uh, under some trees, by some beds. I mean, a lot of times people encourage the moss to grow there because they know it's no maintenance. They don't have to do anything to it. And it is pretty. It really is. It's pretty. So moss is a great ground And I've seen, you know, whole lawns. You know, you drive down some parts of uh, Shetty Grove. Yeah. Um over there by Briarcrest, and you'll see lawns that are nothing but moss. Yeah, that is data. a good section to look at moss lawns. I mean, because you, you can definitely see the compaction mm-hmm. out there. Uh, you can surely see the shade, you know, because of the trees. But people realize, look, I'm tired of fighting this battle. I uh, know I can't naturally get grass to grow out here. I'll just let the moss grow. And uh, and it's actually a really good look. Um, I have seen something you know the thing about our environment and all the improvements that happen in our environment they seem to never be talked about you have to research and just happen upon them on on all these great things that are happening for our environment because all you're going to turn on the news is here you know bad 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 but there's and man i'm sorry if i misquote the city but i'm thinking it was chicago but now maybe not. But let's go with it's a city. Mm-hmm. It's a big city, and it has the interstate that basically goes on the out parts of the city. and, and Like all cities. In. Yeah. So what they did was they put the interstate underground, and then the areas that were the interstate is now all green spaces. Wow. So they totally just changed the whole thing. You're looking at the picture even, and you're like, this city looks calming and nice. Well, there had to be a reason, though, Veda, because they're not just going to bury the interstate mm-hmm. just for the sake of the citizens that live in the city yeah. to have a green space. But it's just I they're think, not going to do that. Well, you would think, but that's the kind of the future. So people are thinking. Maybe so. so. Maybe, but yeah. We'll to have, have to more to have more green space, you know, in the cities. I mean, mm-hmm. even New York, thank God they have, you know, a central park. 
Right. You know, that, yeah. that just oasis of green out there mm-hmm. in the middle of this huge city. Uh, even here close to home, you know, we've got Shelby Farms out yeah. there. And the Green Line. And the we Green just Line, turned right. into railroad tracks into... Uh, exactly. Um, and then we're seeing, you know, much more of the uh, the greenery on a lot of these, um, you know, these balconies and mm-hmm. so forth in these big buildings. I mean, so, you know, they're they're trying to, trying their mm-hmm. best to make more green spaces uh, in these cities. But, I mean, I think that is pretty awesome what you just mm-hmm. said, though, you know, bearing... Uh, especially the the interstate that was going through the city or around the city, and they created a nice, you know, green Mm -hmm. environment uh, instead of just, you know, cars and and roads. Right. So that's how I start envisioning the new developments that we're making and then hopefully able to change some of the older developments around is where we're just looking at it as mixing our uh, plants in with our living spaces where before it was just get as much money as you can just mow everything down and start from new but then we had ruined the whole system and then everybody in their yards trying to plant a space it just wasn't fixing it, it. well it, but it, it, over the years i mean you can drive through a neighborhood where they scalp everything build the houses and all you have are houses and driveways yeah and then you have houses driveways and grass okay mm-hmm. and then eventually people start planting trees and shrubs initially it looks like a barren mars landing <laughs> zone right but later on you know maybe 15 years down the road you do have that nice mm-hmm. look theta yeah. but it but it takes that long when they go in there and just you know, scalp the earth to yeah. plant or to to build these projects, but even on a smaller scale, how I many people are bringing houseplants into their right. houses now? Yeah, and and businesses too, Absolutely. much more, because you know everybody had a corn plant that was hanging off the the stem in their office. Everybody had a pothos that hardly had any leaves, but it had long growth on it with a few leaves at the end. Yeah, and everybody had a rubber plant that had three inches of dust on every leaf, you know. Yeah, exactly. But now we're actually picking different plants. We're trying to put them in the right environment. We're working on getting the right containers, the right soil, adding more to it. And now it's worth it so much more. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, I mean, I love the green. I mean, who doesn't like the green space? I'm telling you. Yeah, and so I know in one of the green spaces you would plant Rose Creek Abelia. Yeah, I had a guy come into the garden center. I know we only got a couple of minutes left. And there was a, uh, I believe it might have been a sprouts right there at Perkins and Poplar, okay? And he came in. He it said, is, he said yeah. Kenny, what is that shrub down there at Perkins and Poplar around Sprouts that's blooming right now? And I said, well, what does it look like? I, haven't, I, don't, I don't never go down that way. And he said, well, it's got a little pink bloom. So he sent me a picture of it about yeah. 30 minutes after he came into the store. And sure enough, it's a bilia. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's one of those plants that we forget about. I mean, a bilia is a tough, tough, tough plant. And in this case, I think it was the Rose Creek abelia because it had that real pretty pink bloom that gets about three foot tall, about three foot wide. But, Beta, whether it's uh, the uh, Rock Creek abelia, whether it's the Twist of Lemon, the Twist of Lime, the Kaleidoscope, the, uh, the Grandiflora, yeah. There's so many different varieties of abelia out there, uh, and the blooms are beautiful. They're tough as everything, but it caught his eye, mm-hmm. and he's like, I've got to know what this thing is because I've got to have some in right. my landscape. And yeah. it's just one of those summer bloomers yeah. that is no fuss whatsoever. And then the seed heads that are left are really unique looking as well. 
I like that Abelia best of all. I mean, I love the light textures of the twist of lime, twist of lemon, and then the, the and the variegated look of the kaleidoscope. Yeah. But that 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 Rock Creek mm-hmm. is the bloom that is the highlight yeah. of that particular abelia. Right. And if you don't have any abelias. Mm-hmm. in your landscape and you want some summer bloom that is definitely yeah. something to look at and i do like the red stems that the leaves grow off of on that kind it's got all kinds of different colors or textures on one but so, yeah but he came in i mean he was so adamant he he went back and took a picture and sent it to me yeah well that's a good one yeah. all right i've seen that growing there too it's wonderful y'all be safe on this uh, holiday weekend and we will see you next weekend in the mid-south garden and you can listen to our podcast